In the beginning, Cain hit Abel with a rock and saw that he did not get back up, thus creating the first science experiment. Cave Johnson here, with some important announcements about the future of Aperture Science, formerly known as Z, formerly known as Aperture Science. First announcement, I'm sick. That's why my voice is weird. Moving on, our critics and competitors, better known as our enemies, have attempted to discredit my name and my work by putting me through the charade of court. Powerful people have conspired against me and paid off the court and media to make me out to be a swindling lunatic. Facts check. Multiple people have sued Cave Johnson for damages. The courts ruled in favor of each and every plaintiff after overwhelming evidence demonstrated that his actions led to the pain and suffering of multiple civilians, his own employees, as well as 200 monkeys. These courts and media outlets are not owned by the plaintiffs and have no personal vendetta against Cave Johnson. And now, to add insult to injury, they're trying to censor me and make me appear crazy with this device that interrupts me every time I speak. Correction. I am a fact-checking and context-providing device meant to clarify and correct misleading, exaggerated, and false statements. I was created per the terms of the settlements of the multiple plaintiffs who prevailed against Cave Johnson in court to ensure that he does not spread any further lies. Well, a lie is just something science has yet to prove. And that's where you, Aperture Science employee, come in. We have lots of people to prove wrong. First and foremost, the mayor, who in court said, Cave Johnson believes that he's a god who can do as he pleases. Thank you for the compliment, but I do not see myself as god. I'm more of a Kane guy myself. Kane was a problem solver, and he knew how to take down the competition. And for that, the little guy was punished by the big guy. But did that stop Kane? No, he managed to build a city. And that's us, folks. I'm the little guy who refuses to bow to the big one. And you guys, uh, well, you're the littler guys in my city who are going to help me. Try not to get an ego about it. Try as they might, the big guy can't take Cave Johnson down. And nobody can take me away from Aperture Science. If I was as evil, incompetent, and delusional as they made me out to be, how am I still the head of a massive corporation? Clarification. The board of directors have turned to the Mantis Men, so there's currently nobody with sufficient power or influence who can force him out of the company. Quiet, you. Those charlatans can take us to court, they can smear our good name as much as they like, and they can take our money. So much of our money. Inconceivable sums of money. Look, folks, the fact of the matter is, we are flat broke. Clarification. While it is true that the company Aperture Science is in the red, Cave Johnson, the individual, has enough money in his personal accounts to comfortably house and feed every person in the state. Really? I didn't know that. You think I could leverage that in a negotiation? Carolyn, write that down. We have threats to make. I mean, opportunities to seize. Speaking of opportunity, the clowns at Clown Court try to call our neural implants a failure just because it killed a couple hundred monkeys. Failure is just an error in marketing. These neural implants may not improve cognitive function, but they're a hell of a bomb. And Aperture Science has been on the cutting edge of explosions for decades. We invented the self-exploding rocket, easy for cleanup. The self-exploding car, never have to worry about parking ever again. And soon, the self-exploding brain. The US military is very interested. They think it'll boost troop morale and, more importantly, retention. Which reminds me, following this announcement, report to the neurology lab for an impromptu, but mandatory, ear cleaning. Warning. He's going to implant the chip in your brain. I hate you so much. Fact check. You are desperate for my approval. I am not desperate for your approval. You are a saboteur sent to me by my enemies to discredit and distract me. 
Fact check. You have intense paranoia brought about by unearned wealth and status, as well as delusions of grandeur. I am not del <coughs> <coughs> Sorry about that, folks. Like I said, I'm sick. Just a cold, though. Nothing to worry about. Correction. Cave Johnson has poison in his bloodstream as a result of experiments involving ground-up moon rocks. Ah, uh, well, that is true. But the doctor said I'm going to make a quick and speedy recovery. The doctor said they've never seen a body kill lunar poisoning like mine. The prognosis is that it's terminal. You are dying. Really? Shit, I didn't know that. This changes things. I'm being confronted with my own mortality like this. I'm, I'm going to dedicate what little time I have left to the noble cause of science. Not out of spite for my enemies, but out of a sense of obligation. To use my resources for the betterment of mankind. To leave something of value behind after I'm gone. To leave this world a better place than I found it. You are lying. Gabe Johnson, we're done here. Hello, and welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and every episode I bring on a guest who selects a game that made an impact on their life. I have a wonderful guest with me today. She is a Twitch streamer as well as a writer and producer whose works can be seen at Fandom, GameSpot, and Giant Bomb. It's Bailey Myers. Bailey, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for asking. I really appreciate you uh, coming on to this show to talk about video games. Before we get into video games, though. Let me just ask, uh, for the sake of the listeners who do not have the pleasure of knowing you, what do you do and what do you like? Um, what do I do? Uh, mostly what I do is play video games for my job because I am the head writer for Honest Game Trailers, so my gaming schedule tends to be pretty dictated by what's really bad that people are talking about right now. Sometimes what's good, <laughs> mostly what's bad. Um, I like, so I like playing games that aren't bad. That's, that's a big joy for me when the game's not bad. That's, that's killer. That's great. So you don't like playing games that are bad. Just to be clear. Yeah, no, I want to be really clear on this point. I don't like playing bad games. I just keep having to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no community likes to gatekeep more than the gamers. So we will have to check your gaming credentials here. Let's talk about your gaming history when you aren't playing games that are bad. Uh, what got you into gaming? I like to joke that I'm one of gaming's only Nepo babies. Uh, <laughs> my dad is in the industry. He's been in the industry for longer than I've been alive. Wow. So I kind of grew up around it, and it's always been an interest of mine because, you know, it's kind of hard not to develop an interest in games when you have, like, blown up posters of, like, Turok 2 cover on PC Gamer on your, like, family room wall. Mm -hmm. So got into it because I would watch my dad play video games. I'd watch my sisters play video games. I would play video games. And the first one I remember playing was Mario Paint. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. There was yeah. all those like YouTube videos where people would make recreations of songs with that with the audio tool in there. Oh, yeah. No, I had the best time. I wasn't making any music that was good like people on YouTube do, but I was really expressing myself creatively. And I think that's what's important. Uh, you mentioned that your dad... Uh, worked in the industry was he uh, a games writer or covering video games or did he work in development uh 
let's see, he worked for Nintendo Weekly for a while, but then he moved into the public relations side of things. And he was working for companies like 3DO and Acclaim before he became an independent PR guy for like indie game companies and international game companies. And he's still doing that now. Sometimes he'll send me an email to let me know about how he had sex with the Emperor of the Mind Flayers in Baldur's Gate 3. And <laughs> <laughs> that's our shared interest there. So that's crazy. You kind of literally have, instead of the uncle that works at Nintendo, you have the dad that works at what, you know, whatever, at a claim. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, uh, it, sounds, it sounds made up, but it is real because sometimes people do work at these companies and then they have children and those children are me. I'm that children. You're that children. Yeah. Uh, Let's keep talking about your dad. Do you know what your dad's favorite <laughs> games are? <laughs> My dad's favorite game. Well, currently he won't stop talking to me about who he's having sex with in Baldur's Gate 3. So I have yeah, to assume man. it's that. <laughs> for a while, actually, he had he had played Baldur's Gate for like when I was a kid. I remember he was obsessed with playing Baldur's Gate. And um, he has like the old, like the, the the first one and the second one. He has like the packages for them still in his house. And I remember like when all the hype was starting about Baldur's Gate 3. The like little child brain that still lives within me was like, but that's a game for dads. That's a dad game. <laughs> Why? I'm not excited about that at all. Little mm -hmm. did I know. Yeah. Man, that must have been a hell of a moment for your dad. And now you're getting text messages about, hell yeah, oh, Mr. Myers. Let's no, go. <laughs> I want to be clear. He's sending these emails to my work email. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is He's standing on business. That's great. Yes. He uses his official signature to let me know about his relationship with the Emperor of the Mind Flayers. This is PR campaign for the Mind Flayer. He's, 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 he's playing. <laughs> it's great. Um, but let's, let's move on uh, to you now. What were the, what other games were you playing growing up in that environment? Um, one game that I like. I consider it to be like my first like game that really got me like understanding how wonderful games could be was probably like Threads of Fate. Not many people know about this one. I'm going to look it up really fast so I don't get the year wrong on mm -hmm. it, but it, it's a little played square game. It is. Yeah, it came out in 1999. So I was, it was right around the time when I really had enough motor skills to actually be good at a video game. And I had it on my PS1 and I just remember really loving like it had a dual narrative where there was a boy boy protagonist named Rue and a girl protagonist named Mint and Rue had like a tragic backstory and could turn into animals and Mint was an obnoxious princess who had magic. So obviously I played Mint every time I played it. It's such a blast and I honest and, and one of these days they're gonna remaster it. I'm gonna put that out into the universe enough times that someone is at Square is going to be like, oh yeah, Threads of Fate. And then they're going to remaster it for me. I hope they do that. Uh, somebody mentioned this is a game that they wanted to potentially talk about on the pod one. So I'm really glad you brought it up because it's like there are at least two Threads of Fate players out there. I haven't started the game yet. And I don't know oh. if that's the game that they're settling on, but I'm letting you know, this is not the first time this has come up around me. <laughs> you have to play this game. It's, I can't, I, it's really good. Like, I, it's it's very underrated. Like, I mean, I'm looking at like reviews for it right now, and it's like 8.4, 9.5. Like, like everyone who played the game loved the game. It's just no one's no one's freaking heard of it. That's what Square Enix should be doing. Is instead of going in NFTs, just like Threads of Fate, the the a port, anything, buddy. Exactly. They need to. They need to just release games specifically for my niche interests and ignore the things that, quote, make them money. Yeah. 
if you if you guys are going to burn cash anyway, if you guys are just going to lose money on these stupid decisions, throw some threads of fate in there. Yeah. Exactly. You get it. You get it. <laughs> die die beloved. Don't don't live in pain. <laughs> this is exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. So you, you, you love games like Mario Paint. <laughs> Goose has an opinion about that, too. Oh, yeah, Goose. <laughs> Goose is a cat. Goose is a cat Goose that we are looking a, at right a now. a big, loud cat. He forgot that I gave him soft food already. He thinks he deserves more, and he does. He's right. He's gaslighting you. Don't listen. He's cat lighting me. That's your, that's your mind flare down there. See, <laughs> so, you know, Threads of Fate. Any other, any other notable childhood games coming up? Mm, that to me is probably like my major and best answer. I think that um, I was big on both co-op games and like multiplayer games because I had two sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, so Mario Party, Mario Kart, um, that horrible Rugrats board, like board game Mario Party knockoff that came out for the PlayStation 1. Yeah, the, I remember. The Army Men PvP game. <laughs> These all sound competitive. It sounds like you and your sisters fought a lot. <laughs> yes, that's that's not unfair to say. I actually don't think I listed a single co-op one there because I doubt we ever co-opted on anything in our lives. But maybe if we had more co-op games, we would have played them. They don't. There right. aren't that many of them. You know, like it just sounds like it. War in the home where, where these video games listing like the most famous examples of conflict in the home. Yeah, I don't I'm not going to name names, but definitely one of my sisters was winning and I ac accidentally turned the N64 off. The reason I met, asked you earlier, like you don't like bad games is because <laughs> uh, before you joined on pod, you were very apologetic about this and it wasn't a problem, but you were a few minutes late to the recording because you were caught up in playing the Frontiers of Pandora video game for, for work. <laughs> yes yeah it's uh it's not the worst game i've played for work like again with honest game trailers um frankly the worse a game is the easier the script is to write because mm -hmm. i don't have to waste time complimenting the game i can just get right to being mean about it mm -hmm. but uh that doesn't mean i enjoy playing the game in the moment so there have been worse games in my tenure there, Gollum and that horrible King Kong game come to mind. But this one, right. um, this one's not going to be getting a very positive video for me, if I'm going to be honest. I'm so sorry to Mr. Cameron and anyone else who has vested interest in this video game. As a, as a Pyakin fan, I am, I'm, I'm a little upset. But as an Ubisoft hater, I'm like, yeah, that's expected. Um, <laughs> but uh, look, it, it, it's fine. Uh, let's talk about your 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 honest game trailers writing experience. You've mentioned that you know it's very easy to write for the bad stuff. So would you say like your job is you know is your job generally more fun when you're playing bad games, or is it a balance of like is there an equilibrium where it's like I'm having a good time playing the game, but man, is the comedy harder to mine from a good experience? Yeah, it's a real it's a real trade off, honestly, because like on the one hand, like with the Tears of the Kingdom one, I easily put a hundred hours in in that week I had to play it before writing the script. And then I got to writing the script and I was like, what do you even say about this thing that's even funny and doesn't seem too mean because you don't want to give people the wrong impression and make them think that you didn't like the game. Because if you make any kind of a joke about a video game, people will accuse you of hating the video game. And so, you, you know, if it's a really good game like that, you'd want to be so clear, like, this is a good game and all these jokes are in good fun, et cetera, which is obviously a real font of comedy. Um, but <laughs> uh, with bad games, it's, it's like uh, torturing yourself for a week and a half 
knowing that the sweet reward at the end is going to be that your script might take a few hours less to write. So I guess it's a trade-off in a way. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to do you want to take a public flogging or a private flogging? Is what it sounds like. <laughs> mean internet exactly. comments or just the the private torture of having to play Gollum. Oh God, I, th- I you could not I you could not pay me enough to play Gollum again. It's do you know that game ends with him getting friend zoned by an elf? It does. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Fun fact: Gollum's an incel in that game. You know, I <laughs> I never. <laughs> I, I was never, uh, I guess Shalab, you know, Shalab's his girlfriend to me. I, I like the, to imagine yeah. that. I imagine they worked it out. Like he, it works out for mm-hmm. him in the future. Yeah. I mean, he is obsessed with her. That makes sense. But I think if you look at his motivations from, uh, uh, the beautiful elf maiden that he tried to kill for some reason, didn't want to have sex with him and instead wanted to get together with a handsome elf man who didn't try to kill her, then it, all of his actions in the movies really make sense. This is why he has to be obsessed with the ring. It's like there's nothing else. He, he nothing else is going for him. Yeah, it's either this. At least he's not posting on forums about how. True. Yeah, they didn't know. have Reddit back then. They didn't have 4chan. Yeah, he's not posting on like R nine K 4chan boards talking about. <laughs> God, <laughs> it's clear to me that your career affects your relationship with video games. Would you say that you are playing video games more? Uh, because you're playing so much professionally or I, I'm, what, what's the balance of that like when you get to pl- just sit down and relax play a good game or is gaming just solely career oriented at the moment because you need to like put variety in your life um I wasn't good about this at first like when I started I think I was pretty exclusively just playing games for work or when I was streaming like streaming to me was like a break from the one that I was doing for work and I could play a game that maybe I wanted to do a little bit more but it's still very much like not a me playing a game in private kind of thing which which is unfortunate because there are so many good games that I don't want to do an honest game trailer for and I don't want to stream and I just want to play by myself but it took me nearly a year to beat Disco Elysium because it took mm-hmm. me until I had a Steam Deck like my Steam my stream community very generously bought for me a Steam Deck Aww. as as a gift. It was so sweet. And I was like, I am going to use this machine to play Disco Elysium finally. And I did. And it was so good. And it really t- made me realize I needed to prioritize like gaming for gaming for joy a little bit more, a little less for work and a little more for joy. So now I I take time like, you know, not every day, but like most days I'll spend a couple hours like playing Baldur's Gate or similar and just like unwind, play a game without having to think of any stupid dick jokes about it or whatever. Right. Sorry, am I allowed to say dick jokes on your podcast? You can say bad words. It's fine. Heck um, yes. I forgot to ask before. <laughs> it's fine. No, you're, you can cuss. It's fine. Yes. But yeah, no, it's it's nice to not have to like worry about riffing on something this podcast puts me in a position where I am playing good games all the time because everyone's coming to me with their favorite video game ever. So like when I have to play a video game for the first time, it's like, oh, hell yeah, nice. I'm playing through Super Mario RPG right now and I'm having a delightful time and it's not a long game and it's just very fun. Look at me go. And then (laughs) unfortunately for you, you have to play Gollum and (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I honestly, though, between Gollum and the King Kong game, I think the King Kong game is worse. Uh, Oh, yeah. Sorry, Skull Island Rise of Kong. I don't want to get the title wrong on that one. 
It's a 12-hour game about a monkey taking revenge on a dinosaur. That's it. That's the that's the whole game. Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> I want to play it. Don't don't do it. I think one of the maybe meaner things I said in the trailer was also a joke about Gollum because I had said like say what you will about Gollum at least when I was playing it I never thought to myself man I wish I were playing Gollum right now <laughs> Let's let's go what do you have like a favorite <laughs> like honest game trailers that you've written for by the way Oh gosh um the first one that I wrote like all by myself for the channel cuz it's been going for a while and I only took over this past year but the first one that I wrote all by myself was the Stardew Valley one so that one I still cherish very much that one I think uh, it turned out really well and I got to you know the first the first few that I did were really just games I was passionate about hold on I'm gonna look up my own YouTube channel so I can see <laughs> what trailers I've done give mm. you even more answer on that I, um, want the, I, want, I want the most confident answer and if you have to look at your own work to do that it's fine yeah. I have a short-term memory too it's so hard to remember I've done so many of these um well, I loved the Portal 2 one. <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I think the one that I'm proudest of is the Gollum one. I thought that one turned out really well. I suffered a lot through it uh, to make it. And and I think it turned out really well. And I'm proud of it. And I stand by it. I stand by my dumb jokes about that game. I, I'm glad because otherwise, <laughs> if you weren't proud of the work... You have to be. You have to be proud of the work that you did. Otherwise, what was the point? But exactly. I'm, it's you sound sincere in it, so I'm glad. You talked about like the fan reception of you know like it's it's so weird when people are coming into a video with the format is like we make jokes here, we like to riff, and it's fun to take the piss out of like good things sometimes. And then they're like, "How dare you? How dare you jokingly present the, this work of art as imperfect?" Yeah, I, I, I've done some writing for Honest Trailers proper, too, like the one that's for movies. And they just they really don't encounter that same problem when they're making jokes about movies. And I, I think and I'm, I'm going to say this on your gaming podcast, and it's possible that certain a certain subset of gamers whom I'm I am talking about will get mad at me. But I think there is a certain subset of gamers that simply do not have a sense of humor about gaming at all. And so it's very hard to write jokes that they'll find funny. And they love and respect video games. And I think that that's really great for them. But I also think they shouldn't engage with comedy content if they're not willing to laugh about the things they love. Breaking news. <laughs> Gamers are an imperfect community. This is the <laughs> first time. No. No one's ever criticized them before. So I, I hope they can take this. Gamergate is about property lines. It's not a, it's not an alt-right pipeline thing you can point to in the history of the internet. What are you talking about? It's about ethics in games journalism, and the most ethical way to do games journalism is to never make a single joke ever. Hey, all the gaming journalism jobs are gone, so... True! Hey. <laughs> hey, they did it. They did it. Congratulations, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's all gone now. You win. It's it's ethical because it's dead. Oh, no. I wonder what... I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> Before it gets too depressing? Or <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've been playing games for work lately. Uh, is there anything besides Frontiers of Pandora that you've been enjoying uh, recently? Gosh, the, 
the last trailer that I took, I was uh, the lead on writing was Dave the Diver. And if I'm going to be honest, the first trailer of this year was supposed to be Frontiers of Pandora. But I started playing Dave the Diver during like we got a two week break at the end of the year. And I was like, I'm going to check this thing out. And I wound up just playing it for seven hours the first time that I picked it up without realizing. And I was like, you know, if I'm already playing it, I might as well make this be the first trailer of the year. Um, I'm going to revisit it as soon as I'm done with Frontiers of Pandora because I haven't finished it. And it is genuinely such a charming and delightful game. I know there was the controversy about whether or not it was indie. I think that if you go in worrying about that, you're not really, uh, playing the game so does it like that's not that's not a thing that in the game they don't like hold you at gunpoint and say quick are we in indie or not say it say it like <laughs> it's it's just a charming and delightful game about climate yeah. change yeah you know and hey here's the thing right i think james cameron will forgive you for prioritizing dave the diver because hey there's a few things i know about james cameron one climate change ah number two i love deep sea diving yeah, if Dave the Diver isn't James Cameron's favorite game, then that's just because he hasn't heard of it because it's an indie. <laughs> I do think that as, from what I've heard, James Cameron is a gamer. And I've, I'm sure if you put a gun to his head, if you asked him like Frontiers of Pandora or Dave the Diver, he would say Dave the Diver. I, I think anyone would. Uh, but yeah, he'd be in his deep sea submersible with a game controller being used for what it's supposed to be used for gaming. <laughs> and he would look up briefly to say, oh, obviously Dave the Diver. And that's my fan fiction that I've written in my head just now about James Cameron. James, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Things we know. Uh, he, he's a deep sea diver. He's afraid of climate change. A lot of divorces. But hey, great filmmaker. Not the best it's with hard women. Hard to stay married to a guy who's 20,000 leagues under the sea half the year. <laughs> I think he might be avoiding me. I think his true love is the sea. <laughs> she will never be the Titanic. I'm sorry. So true. What do you look for when you're choosing to stream a game? Is it usually like something that intersects with work or do you do something that's like I'm finally getting like I'm motivating myself to play something new? What what what's the thought process? Um I tend to I tend to have a few things that I factor in. Uh I I want to make sure like content-wise it's not going to make people who who are watching my stream uncomfortable. That's like a first thing right there. That's kind of mm -hmm. why I liked, like I started playing Disco Elysium on stream and then made the executive decision to not finish it on stream because it just has a lot of heavy content that like when people are tuning in for entertainment, they might not necessarily be willing to engage with that. Whereas if I, uh, the player, I'm like, I am willing to engage with it. Like that's me, but I can't be thinking selfishly when I'm streaming. I have to think about what the other people want to watch me play. I like playing games where I can show off my mad skills. That's very important. So I play a lot of Tetris 99 to really like put these folks in their place and mm -hmm. let them know how good I am at, at murdering via blocks. Um, sometimes I'll play a game when I know that I need to write about it for work and like I'll do like a first impressions kind of stream. I did do that with Avatar and I'm glad I did because um, people were very curious about it but didn't necessarily want to spend what $70 on it so they could like tune in and see the beginning and see how it starts. And, uh, and then I can like riff with them and like get sort of a foundation of jokes that I can build off of with my script. So that's cool. There's like nice synchronicity there. Mostly mm. I just like playing whatever I feel like. That's kind of my vibe on stream. <laughs> I'm glad you have a space where you can do that because again, when you are at the mercy of a job, it can be a, a little strange to do it. I have a lot of friends who work in 
various facets of, you know, gaming, whether they're doing it for a podcast or journalism or writing or whatever. And it's hard to like make time for the, the stuff that you just want to play on a whim or like play a game that is from the previous year even. So I'm glad that you have a space carved out and like that's public facing and you're doing something that you want. Yeah, it's it's an it's a nice balance. I definitely I think I need to be better at prioritizing games that people want to watch as opposed to just games that like scratch my niche interests. But uh, that's that's simply not how I roll and I can't and I won't. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to keep playing my, my silly little puzzle games, even if you don't care. Don't don't get consumed by the meta of Twitch engagement. I don't think I don't think it'd be worth it. I think you would start attracting the type of people that get mad at honest game trailers or yeah, video honestly. games in general, having a Mostly, sense of humor. Yeah, I think the thing the thing that's may, maybe given my stream like made my stream take the biggest hit is um, I ran out of like good Nancy Drew PC point and click games to play. Like mm-hmm. I played the half of them that are good, and now I'm sort of waiting for the new one to come out. And when that comes out, my stream is gonna pop the hell off. But until then, we have to play other games. It's unfortunate. What's the best Nancy Drew game? The best Nancy Drew game. Ooh, that's a good question. Let me look at my list of Nancy Drew. Games. They all they all have really long, complex titles, so I don't want to get any of them wrong. Let's see. Fortunately, they all start with Nancy Drew and then a colon, so they're pretty easy to find. Right. Um, Nancy Drew and the exploration of ethics in the gaming journalism industry. <laughs> I really liked. Um, I loved Nancy Drew, the Phantom of Venice. That one, I think, I I cherish very much. The first one I played was Last Train to Blue Moon Canyon, and that one's very good. But it's one of the older ones, and the UI kind of suffers as a result. Like it's it's a little clunky to play. But the Hardy Boys are in it, and it's that and that's very fun. Um, mm, I'm aware of the Hardy Boys crossover because I have. Again, multiple friends who played the Nancy Drew games growing yes. up. Yes. So that one's great. And the mystery is great. And a lot of my sounds from my soundboard are from that game. Like the villain of the game at one point enthusiastically goes, you go, girl. And that's the sound I play anytime someone subscribes to my channel, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. But Nancy has a couple like a couple games where she trots around Europe a little like she basically Nancy goes on vacation and vacation gets ruined by mystery. Or gets made better by mystery. Nancy loves a mystery. So the Phantom of Venice and then Danger by Design, which takes place in Paris, are both, I think, the two standouts. They really they really nailed the formula on those. Phantom of Venice has an incredible card-based mini-game called Scopa, which is a real game that Italian grandfathers play. And now I am obsessed with Scopa. I played so much Scopa when I was supposed to be solving a mystery. And then Danger by Design ends with a Kung Fu fight. Nice. I don't know how you're able to say the Phantom of Venice without just going Phantom Venice. <laughs> but <laughs> It's difficult. I have to tell my brain not to every time. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like a trap to like it's somebody like sued for copyright. But <laughs> yeah, no, great title. I like hearing about this kind of stuff because this... There's this, there's a there's a Nancy Drew community again that just feels fractured and I feel like these people need to unite. It's true the the Kadrunity needs to come together. Yeah, the the Kadrunity. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything that you are are looking forward to playing or anything that you are trying to play soon? It doesn't necessarily have to be a game coming up. It could be a game that you've just been having on the back burner for a while. Do you have like a new game resolution? <laughs> Honestly, I think the game that I'm most excited about that I can't wait to play, but does not even have a release date yet is Hades 2. Yeah. 
That's just, that's taking up all of my excitement about new games space in my head. I've seen all the trailers for all the new upcoming stuff. There's a lot of stuff that looks really good. There's a lot of stuff that I'm excited to play. I couldn't name a single one for you right now. Hades 2 is 100% of my brain and my heart. I cannot wait for it. Anytime they release anything about it, I like eat it up. I need to know more. When's it coming out? When's the beta? I have to play it right now. Darren Corb, hit me up. Send me the audio tracks. I just <laughs> want to hear them. I just want to hear them, Darren. Yeah, if there was a game I would point to as like, I'm the most excited for this, it's Hades 2. Uh, and it is like one of those things where like, I'm not, un- I'm without question going to play it as soon as it's an early access. It's not a question of like, oh, I'll wait for the full release so I get the yeah, full game. No. Like, if I can have like an iota of new Hades anything, I will play it. Uh, if it is just like me walking around a room and talking to fucking Skelly or something, oh, I, I, yeah. I would talk to Skelly in a non-game context, if I saw Skelly on the street, I'd be like, what's up, buddy? And I'd keep hitting that A button to see what he has to say. He's ha- he has a lot of information in him, and I think it would be valuable to me as a casual person just walking by. If it was just a Skelly dating sim, it would be my most played game of that given year. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think I hope that Hades 2 continues the like romance ability of the first one and, in fact, expands on it. I think you should be able to romance more people. Not just yeah. the two hottest people who live in your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you put it that way? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I'm looking forward to Hades. Uh, I'm looking forward to the new Hades and like Final Fantasy VII uh, Rebirth. Those are like the two things that are like really occupying my board. 2023, you know, a lot of video games coming out. Um, there's a bunch of stuff coming out like, you know, January, February early March and then like what's the rest of the year look like Nintendo might announce a new console that'll fill up the schedule a little bit but then it's like the industry's dying guys I after last year I learned to stop like looking at release dates on games I allow myself to just be pleasantly surprised when a game comes out like oh cool it's out great I guess I'll play it now like I try to plan I try to plan the trailer schedule in a way that makes sense. But the number of times I had to move stuff around last year because a game was delayed by eight months. I'm like, I don't trust any date unless I am watching a trailer and they're like, surprise, it's out now. I don't trust it. I'm like, sure, sure it comes out this year. Sure it does. I don't believe it. Not for a second. You could take half of the games released in 2023 and then release them again. And I'd be like, oh, fuck yeah, new game. (laughs) I believe you. Like, there's the, so much is out and if there is a drought for a little bit honestly good i still haven't played cult of the lamb from 2022 oh no people love that game you should check yeah. it out i i hope to one day if hades 2 comes out no reason Probably for me not. to ever play that or any game ever <laughs> to say. now when i approach you to come onto the show the game that we we're talking about today wasn't your only option there are some other games that you know, you hold near and dear to your heart. Uh, what are some, you know, crucial Bailey Myers games that you feel like you could talk about a lot, but unfortunately did not make the final cut for today? Oh my gosh. I don't remember. I don't remember which ones I said to you. I do you feel like Mario Tears Party of the was Kingdom. on that list. Tears of the Kingdom does make sense for me to be on that list. I became addicted to that game the second it came out. 
I was like I said, I put in a hundred hours the first week it was out. Um, it was very funny because the thing is, is um, unlike people who who engage in real games journalism, I don't tend to get review codes of the game before it's out. I usually wind up having to play the game on release, like all the normals. With Tears of the Kingdom, I thought I would try to reach out because it's such a big game, and I was just, I just explained like, hey. I'm gonna write this trailer. I promise I'm gonna like the game. Can I please just have like an extra little bit of time with it? And Nintendo was like, yeah, sure. And they sent a code for it on the day it was released. <laughs> Which is meaner than not sending one, if I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I would have rather they just ignored me. Mm-hmm. But I, regardless, regardless of that slight... Uh, first of all, thought it was very funny, so I didn't take it personally, and then immediately put a hundred hours in because I felt like I wanted to play enough of the game that I felt like I could write about it, but I also wanted to make sure I wasn't accidentally spoiling something, wasn't saying something that could be perceived inadvertently as a spoiler, stuff like that. I did get in trouble for spoiling that the final boss fight was against Ganondorf, but frankly if you're playing a zelda game and that's a spoiler for you that is a skill issue i'm sorry zelda's in this game what (laughs) um i was staying up until like stupid hours just like three in the morning four in the morning like forcing myself to stop playing go to bed like oh i'm such a workaholic look at me go no girl you were addicted to playing the game I wasn't leaving my house. I was just playing this game and I was having such a good time. Like, that's the thing is I I actually revisited it recently on stream because I wanted to and no one can tell me otherwise because it's my stream. And I was playing that long ass tutorial because it starts with like that three hour long tutorial. And I was just thinking like, even though it's a tutorial and I already know how to play this game, I'm not even annoyed about this. It is so magically well put together and such a smooth gameplay experience. And while I do believe like at the Gaudies, like Baldur's Gate 3 won, and I think that that's right. And I think that it should have. Tears of the Kingdom was such a marvelously good game with such smooth gameplay. Like I never get frustrated with Tears of the Kingdom the way I do when I'm sometimes playing Baldur's Gate. And I love Baldur's Gate, but there have been, I've never had to save scum on Tears of the Kingdom, you know? And Baldur's Gate, it's like, a core element of the gameplay is safe scumming, I want to say. So maybe for not everybody, but definitely for me. Because, sorry, if Astarian is opening a, do- a a locked door, he should not be rolling that many nat ones. That's dumb. I don't like that. <laughs> and that's, that's made up. He shouldn't, I shouldn't have to use one of my inspirations because my rogue messed up and broke all his lock picks. Okay. Tears of the Kingdom, I didn't have that moment. Tears of the Kingdom, I thought was such a beautiful story. I thought the voice acting was so good. The cutscenes, the like the just the beauty of it. Like this is something I'm encountering a lot in in Avatar, where you know how in games, when you need to look at something, they tend to be like, here's something bright over here and colorful, and it stands out against a, an otherwise kind of drab background, and that's how you notice it. And Tears of the Kingdom manages to do that in a very bright and beautiful world. Avatar, unfortunately, does not balance that well. Avatar looks stunning, but it looks stunning in the way a movie does and not quite the way that you want a video game to. It is impossible to, like, the HUD is not useful and you get lost very easily in Avatar, is what I will say about that. With Tears of the Kingdom, I never felt lost. I always just felt like I was exploring. 
And I think that that is such a difficult thing to achieve in a video game. And the fact that they did it so well is nothing short of a magic trick. Like, it's incredible what they did. And I wish it had released a different year so that it could have also <laughs> won Game of the Year. I'm not hurt that it, like, lost Game of the Year because I, I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3 yet. I'm a big proponent of, like, owning it physically. And it hasn't been released on physical yet, so I've been holding off. And also, like, who has the time? But I say that as someone who had 125 hours in Tears of the Kingdom. I, Listen, you, Baldur's Gate... I know I'm going to love it. You don't even, it's, you're going to love it, first of all. And second of all, I have put 160 hours into my second playthrough and I'm not done with it yet. Like there's so much game there. It's going to blow your mind. I'm being, I have been sent fan cams of Astarian and like Shadowheart and things like that by friends of mine because it's like, I, I, I seem like exactly the kind of person that would enjoy that kind of shit. And I know I will enjoy that kind of shit when it is in my hands. But it is also just like it's a time thing. It is a you know physical media obsession thing. It is. Um, you guys won't hear from me for a month. That's when you know I'm playing it. It's gonna it be more than a month. I can't stress this enough. Like there's so much game there. Like I I said I mentioned I'm on my second mm-hmm. playthrough. The character I'm playing it is one of like the presets you can do, which is the dark urge. And yeah. That one, I was like expecting just like, oh, it's like an evil run. Okay, it is not. It is so much more than that. They give this character an intricate backstory that weaves in with the backstory of several major characters in the game who meet you as strangers if you're just playing as like a normal custom character. But if you go in as the Dark Urge, a couple of the major villains already know who you are and have a connection to you. Mm -hmm. And there are characters and plot points that you do not meet slash encounter any other way than by playing as the Dark Urge. And it is unbelievable. Like the game continues to blow my mind with just how much game there is. It's it's just it's it's awesome in like the classical sense of the word. It fills me with awe. Yeah. Hearing somebody on a different podcast, I think it was uh, Into the Aether, talk about the uh, Dark Urge uh, playthrough as an option. And Somebody like doing that as like a reroll halfway through one playthrough and saying it completely redefined my relationship with what this game was. I was like, man, I really got to fucking play this game. Won't I? I know I'll, like it's one of those other things where it's like I somebody gifted me a Disco Elysium and I know Disco Elysium is going to be like top five game I've ever played when I do play it. Oh, you're going to love it. <laughs> but it's just like, man, I can't wait to play it. It's practically already in the top 10 games of all time for me on on a conceptual level because everything about it speaks to me, but I haven't played it yet. It's, it's like that with movies too. There's games that there's movies that I own physically, like on Criterion. It's like, I cannot fucking wait to watch Harakiri or whatever. And I know I'm going to love this. Why haven't I? It's so nice to know yourself so well that you don't even have to consume the media to know that you're going to love it. it, it I know. Like, um... Like, uh, I know I'm going to love Alan Wake 2 because I just finished playing Alan Wake oh, Remastered. I love Alan Wake like a, 2. That's a game where, like, the jank of the 2009 makes me love it. Uh, like, I, I love it know- knowing that it was, like, a game that was basically, like, hitting itself against the wall trying to meet its own ambitions. And I know that Alan Wake 2 is going to meet on those things. I love Control. I love Remedy Games as a company's, like, yeah. you know, their output. So it's like, I know I'm going to love it. Need to get to it. <laughs> Alan Wake 2 was definitely a really big game for me last year, actually. Like, I'm... a scaredy cat with McCoward with fear in my heart and I'm not good at horror games and I wound up yeah <laughs> I wound up being forced to play Alan Wake 2 for stream actually and fell in love with it and it has sort of opened my mind and my heart to 
other horror games because I, I love horror. Like I love horror movies. I love horror TV shows. I'm a big Goosebumps fan, obviously. And video games just to me never they were they were too immersive for me to enjoy the horror experience. Like I needed that separation in order to feel comfortable. And Alan Wake too, I was able to push past it because the story is just so fucking interesting like it's so good like i wound up writing like my first video essay for GameSpot about nice. how it broke down my fear of horror games and like opened up this whole new world for me uh and and i mean it sincerely like it's just so interesting and well done and weird like it's weird is the thing it's not just horror constantly all the time unrelenting dread blah 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 like there's there's so many layers to it you're gonna love it oh yeah i know i really truly you will hear from me when i when i start playing these games because i i will not shut up about them uh please message me as soon as you start any of them i have to know for certain do you think that nancy drew could save alan wake from the dark place I think that Nancy Drew can barely save herself from mysteries she has no right being a part of. Nancy Drew is alive by exclusively the grace of God. Like she dies. You go girl. <laughs> you go girl. She dies so many times in her games in mysteries where you wouldn't think death is on the table. She got I didn't know she could die in her games until I was playing the first one. And it's on a train for most of it. And I was like, what happens if I pull this lever? Do you know what happens? Nancy, the train grinds to a halt and Nancy hits her head and dies. It, and it, goes to, <laughs> it just goes to a game over screen. So no, I think she would die pretty immediately in Alan Wake 2. I think the cult would mistake her for a zombie and destroy her. That's All what right, I good. think. I love your frank and honest answer. I love that your love of Nancy Drew is like so sincere that you not you do not delude yourself into believing no. that she is. <laughs> She's yeah. not capable. She's just a teenager who's got a lot of time on her hand and a big magnifying glass. <laughs> I'm thinking about Alan Wake just like like narrating his way through like a Nancy Drew story and it's like <laughs> And then the cowboy said so I fired again and I missed and I missed again. <laughs> And then Nancy Drew beat her head against the wall and died. (laughs) Alan Wake and Nancy Drew have a lot in common because they are both bad at the job they purport to have. Nancy Drew is not a very good detective. She's just lucky. And Alan Wake is not a good writer. (laughs) Canonically a bad writer. Hack writer versus like just fail girl. I think if they teamed up, they would be the most stoppable <laughs> like team of eminently stoppable <laughs> like they, they're, they're like perfect for each other and like not in like a failure way like they yeah. it's like they, they're meant to live in each other's worlds and <laughs> either like enrich it or completely ruin it and like one of those like doomed to die together kind oh of yeah no just interwoven in, by fate to just forever be dead in each other's stories and i think that that's beautiful like a father-daughter team up but like instead it's like i I'm going to take your daughter to work day, but like it's off a cliff. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Let's talk about Portal 2. <laughs> I'd love to talk about Portal 2. So I'd love you, to think with portals. Uh, let's let's stop. Let's stop thinking about. <laughs> let's let, let's start thinking with portals. Uh, this is a game that is profoundly impactful on both of our lives. It's a game I'm very excited to talk about. Of all the games that we have discussed so far, whether they are absolute doo-doo dog shit like uh, Gollum or Mid, like the Frontiers of Pandora, or life-changingly spectacular and redefine our relationship with the medium, like an Alan Wake 2, Baldur's Gate 3, Tears of the Kingdom. Ultimately, 
you settled on Portal 2. I jokingly refer to it as my favorite first-person shooter, but I kind of mean it. You do. It is. A, it is a gun that makes holes. <laughs> it's a. It's a first-person game, and you do shoot. Like, yeah. As a major component of the game, you shoot from a gun from first-person perspective, and no one can take that from me. My dumb little joke. <laughs> yeah. Portal 2 is a first-person puzzle platform game, sometimes referred to as a first-person shooter, <laughs> uh, developed and published by Valve. Uh, known for franchises such as Half-Life, Counter-Strike, Team Fortress, Left 4 Dead, and Dota 2. Valve is also known for the video game distribution service Steam, currently the largest digital distribution platform for PC gaming. This is the second Valve game I've covered on the show. The first was the game's predecessor, Portal, which I discussed with Adequate Emily. Uh, Portal 2's gameplay is an expansion of the mechanics of the first game, where the player uses the Aperture Science handheld Portal device to create a pair of portals in order to solve puzzles and progress to the next area of the facility. In addition to the use of portals and weighted cubes to hold down buttons, Portal 2 introduces new elements including, but not limited to, tractor beams, light bridges, and catapult plates that add more variety and complexity to the type of puzzles you need to solve. Goo is also involved. Uh, there is also a two-player campaign where you work cooperatively through more complex test chambers that require the use of four portals instead of two. The first Portal game was developed by no more than 10 people. The scope and scale of the sequel increased to around 40 people, so this was a much bigger project. The credits of Portal 2 list the names of all of Valve's employees in alphabetical order without specifying the roles they played in the game's development or if they were involved in the project at all. So I wanted to shout out some of the names of the people who worked on the game. Kim Swift, the lead director and level designer for the original Portal, left Valve halfway through the development of Portal 2 to lead the development of the puzzle platformer video game Quantum Conundrum. Josh Wire took over as the lead developer for Portal 2 in her absence. Mike Muraski was the game's lead composer. Muraski was one of the composers for Portal and also worked on other Valve titles such as Team Fortress 2, The Left 4 Dead games, Half-Life Alex, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, and Counter-Strike 2. The game features a traditional score as well as an adaptive music system that adds additional channels of sound as you make progress within certain test chambers. Jonathan Colton, who wrote Still Alive for Portal, returned to write the credit song for this game, Once You've Gone. The National also contributed a song that can be heard in game titled Exile Vilify. A full disclosure, this was my first exposure to the band The National, a band I like quite a bit now, so thank you Portal 2 for that. Very 2011 of them to include the National in their game. Very zeitgeisty, but in a way that holds up. I mean, like now <laughs> the National's working with Taylor Swift. We can arguably say yeah. that that was part of that trajectory. I have no criticism about working with the National, but it is primo 2011 to work with the National on your video game. This is not a bad thing. For sure. It is. If you were saying like, what happened in 2011? I was like, I heard the National of video games. <laughs> you know? Eric Wolpaw and Chet Felizek returned to write Portal 2 after having written Portal together. Chet Felizek wrote GLaDOS's lines in the co-op campaign, and Eric Wolpaw co-wrote the single-player campaign with Jay Pinkerton, former editor of Cracked and NationalLampoon.com. 
the single player campaign opens with Chell, the protagonist from the first game, waking up in an aperture science built stasis chamber that resembles a cramped hotel room after 50 days of suspension. Good morning. You have been in suspension for 50 days. In compliance with state and federal regulations, all testing candidates in the Aperture Science Extended Relaxation Center must be revived periodically for a mandatory physical and mental wellness exercise. An artificial voice guides you through a series of exercises and an instructor to return to her bed. Screen fades to white, and Shell suddenly awakens from stasis in the same motel room, except it has been dilapidated by countless years of rotten decay. Chell hears a knock on the door in a concerned voice and is greeted by Wheatley, a friendly, talkative, and dim-witted uh, robot in the shape of a personality core from the previous game. Wheatley informs you that he is prepping you for emergency evacuation as the facility's reserve power ran out and a core meltdown is imminent. As he pilots your room on a rail through the facility, he informs you that he's been in charge of Aperture Science since GLaDOS's demise in the first game, and it is evident he has done a horrible job as he crashes your room against the other structures and walls of the building. And through that damage, you can see that the entire facility appears to be decayed and overgrown. Okay, listen, we should get our story straight, all right? If anyone asks, and no one's going to ask, don't worry, but if anyone asks, tell them as far as you know, the last time you checked, everyone looked pretty much alive all right not dead uh wheatley tells you that your best chance of escape is by finding a portal gun navigating your way through the decayed test chambers to get to the escape pod remember you're looking for a gun that makes holes not bullet holes but don't worry you'll figure it out Seriously, you bring wheatley to the main breaker room where he attempts to divert power to the escape pods inadvertently reactivates glados who resumes control of the facility, disposes of Wheatley, and forces Chell to go back to solving portal-driven test chambers of her own design. Okay, look, we both said a lot of things that you're going to regret, but I think we can put our differences behind us. For science, you monster. After solving a few of her test chambers, Wheatley is revealed to have survived, frees you from GLaDOS's clutches, and the two of you team up in the hopes of defeating GLaDOS and escaping from Aperture Science once and for all. Shenanigans ensue. Portal 2, as we just mentioned, was originally released in 2011. Other games released in 2011 include Bastion, The Binding of Isaac, Batman Arkham City, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. I've heard of that one. <laughs> yeah, who's... What? Yeah, I think I might have heard of that one. <laughs> Mostly just play it on my refrigerator. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's not omnipresent. Um, <laughs> Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective, Infamous 2, The Legend of Zelda, Skyward Sword, Minecraft, Terraria, Pokemon Black and White, and Sonic Generations. A joke that has been done to death is how Valve, as a developer, cannot count to three. None of their flagship franchises have ever received a third numbered entry, even to this day. In the spirit of that joke, here are a list of games released in 2011 that received their third numbered entry. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, Gears of War 3, Killzone 3, Resistance 3, Uncharted 3, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Fate of Two Worlds, Serious Sam 3, colon, BFE. The Nintendo 3DS also launched this year <laughs> alongside a number of games with the word 3D in the title. I will not list them all here. Bailey, I just said a lot of game titles. 
any of these stand out to you? And you remember playing any of these? None of them as good as Portal. Yeah. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's a reason they don't count to three. Maybe it's bad luck. Maybe it's bad luck. I think, as we'll discuss in this game, like, what would a third game even be? It feels like this game feels pretty definitive in its concept. I feel like they really strip mine the concept for everything that it's worth to the extent that it's like, here, damn, if you want to make your own with the, the perpetual testing initiative. What ultimately made you decide on Portal 2? Portal 2, to me, was it was it was important to me for a lot of reasons. I, I came to it after 2011. I didn't play it when it came out. I first played Portal on stream, and I started streaming about four years ago. It was one of the first games I played because I started streaming on a MacBook, and there were very few games that my computer could run, but it could run Portal. So I started with that. When I graduated to a grown-up computer, I was able to play Portal 2, and it blew my mind. I could not believe I had waited this long. But the, the problem is I couldn't really get into PC gaming very much like for a while because I was, you know, I was in college, I think, when the first one ca- when they came out and I did not have a gaming PC. I barely had a functional computer. So a lot of games were sort of that was sort of like a dark period for me with gaming. Like I wasn't really able to game when I was in college. So mm-hmm. Being able to go to go and revisit these games from this period that I miss, like these really awesome and wonderful games, was really special to me. But Portal 2 stood out as like the first time I really felt so compelled to beat a game. Like I, I'm not a completionist by any stretch of the imagination, but like I'll play a game until I bounce off it. And I'll be like, I had fun when I played that game. I did not finish it, right. but I really liked it. Uh, with Portal 2, I absolutely needed to do all of it and I needed to make it to the end and figure out what the story was and defeat the bad guy, etc. solve all the puzzles. Um, my little rat brain just loves to test, I guess. Like I'm, I'm GLaDOS's perfect test subject because I just, if, if there were more puzzles, I would still be doing puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's GLaDOS's ultimate thing was like, didn't get somebody who just has like the, the, yeah. the the same worms, <laughs> brain worms yeah, that she has. That's the thing. Chell just wanted to play Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I want to play puzzle games. Call me up, GLaDOS. Kidnap yeah. me. Put me in the facility. Put me in coach. I got ADHD <laughs> and nothing better to do. <laughs> I can grow a potato plant. I got 20 milligrams of Adderall I take twice daily. Give me two <laughs> portals. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm constantly thinking with portals, even in situations where it doesn't make sense to. Put me in. I see a white wall, I point at it. I'm basically <laughs> the best chance you got. <laughs> Who needs windows anyway? So true. I have blackout curtains for a reason. <laughs> anyway, yeah, point is I like the game too. So you you came to this game not when like in the original like hype cycle of it. I came to this game the year it came out. Uh, I got it on PlayStation okay, 3 as a birthday gift. No, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was turning... I turned 15 when this game came out. I was like, mm-hmm. I only want one thing for my birthday. I don't care anything else that happens to me this summer. Can I just get Portal 2? No questions asked. Got it. Bam. Boom. Loved it. It's part of my brain to this day. Glad we are talking about it on the podcast. It's definitely like it is one of the most important games it is to me. I think in general, I think that uh, it's it's really special. There's there's no other way to say it. Like it's so tightly made and there are very few things about it I would change 
And and that mostly revolves around just very 2011-ass humor that doesn't necessarily age well. But most of it does age well. That's the thing. Like, most of it's pretty good. There are just a couple jokes where I'm like, okay, Gladys, we get it. You're making fat jokes. Like, I understand. It's 2011. That was there. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, it is to me a perfect game. And there are so few of those. And we really have to cherish the ones we've got. Yeah, uh, this is a game that's definitely maximalism and like every, you know, conceptualization of the word. Uh, like the first game was like basically like whittling down a game down to like what is what is like just a game? What is like a game, pure game? And that's incredible because it's like perfect in its simplicity. And that the fact that Portal 2 is as big as it is and following up a game that is so stripped down and working that i mean that's a testament to itself we'll have plenty of time to talk about that and to your point about portal and like the jokes in it it's kind of like if you're throwing a million things at the wall and 999,000 of them stick that's a pretty good hit rate it's not bad all things considered yeah yeah i know that the, the first one the first one's so good too and I remember um, an ex of mine did not ever play video games. And so I had to like really convince him to play Portal. And we got to the end. He was like, was that the tutorial for the game? Is there like an actual game or was that just the tutorial? And I was like, there is a game. It's called Portal 2. And that's what's next. He was sort mm-hmm. of right. But it, it it is basically Portal is basically the tutorial for Portal 2, which I really respect as a as a game uh, franchise technique where your first one is just like, learn how to play our upcoming game. And then, <laughs> and then you play it and you're like, ah, I'm glad I learned this. Right. It was like, t- not tacked on because this was a game that was made as a labor. It was like a realization of a lot of hard work that was made over the course of a couple of years. A lot went into it, but it is like, a, it was a smaller project relative to like the yeah. team fortress Two, half life Two, episode two package that it all came with. And it, it was an incredible experience. Uh, a recent episode of Get Played, where they talked about like each of their hosts talked about their top 10 games of all time. Uh, Nick Weiger brings up the first Portal game, and he sort of compares it to Tetris and how it's like pure puzzle, pure just gameplay. And I think that he hit something with that there. Like It is just like the flow of a game. If you conceptualize games as narrative, which they often aren't, because it's, you know, like a game can be anything. That'd be one thing. But like Portal is just like, the gameplay is the main thing. And then like any story is just sort of like, this is, this is the motivator. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's perfect. Just game with a capital G. It's very, it's very good. And then when you do get like story in portal two, and it like opens up to that bigger, not just testing, there's more to this than that moment. And it's so unbelievable when Mm -hmm. when you first get into like the depths of aperture and you're like oh it's not just testing chambers oh we're about to learn oh oh my gosh oh is that jk simmons (laughs) (laughs) it's somehow i didn't know that jk simmons was in the game that is somehow that somehow was never spoiled for me wow so that whole segment to me came as a huge and beautiful surprise. And I'm so grateful to the world for never putting in front of me the fact that Portal 2 ends up in like Aperture's era era's tour with J.K. Simmons narrating the whole thing. It's so good. And just talking about it is making me want to play it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, why are we talking about the game? <laughs> why weren't we just playing it? It's one of those kinds of games. And I can't believe you weren't spoiled on like the. I know. 
think, especially as like someone who has played video games, because it is such like a language of the internet kind of thing. And it's like, if a gamer is guaranteed to have played anything, it, it's probably Portal. But look, I know hey, I was uniquely perfect. deficient in that way, and I managed to just sort of eyes gloss over anything about it. Like I'll play it one day, just don't read it. And and I was right, and it worked out for me. Way to go, self. No, that's that's incredible. Uh, you know, you came to this game later, and that's totally fine. And I think that thank you. Anybody who can get around <laughs> to a game should get around to it when they can. But sometimes that's difficult, which is why every episode I have a segment I do on the show where I talk about the availability of older titles, and it's called No Country for Old Games. Before we talk about Portal in depth, uh, we have to talk about how readily available this game is so those who are interested in it but haven't played it can check it out. And the subject of video game preservation means a great deal to me because I believe that video games are an art form and create experiences that leave some kind of impact on the people who play them. Uh, in this instance, both of us. And unfortunately, this means very little to most publishers who have historically struggled with keeping older games available on modern hardware. As time goes on, games that were once readily available are harder to find and access and more difficult to acquire. So we are going to rate today's game on a scale of A to ARG. And ARG is obviously an expression of frustration at how hard it is to acquire a game, not me covertly advocating for piracy. That is illegal, <laughs> just like murder. Don't murder people. Anyway, <laughs> let's go over the Good history note. of... Good note. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's go over the history of Portal 2's availability. Portal 2 was originally released worldwide digitally on PC and Mac OS X on April 18th, 2011. Retail release for PS3, Xbox 360, PC, and Mac OS X two days later, April 20th in North America, and April 22nd in the PAL regions. Free downloadable content added a new co-op section in the co-op campaign. That was in October of 2011. Uh, and another add-on, the Perpetual Testing Initiative, which was user-created content where people could create and develop their own testing chambers. That was added in March of 2012, allowing the creation and sharing of user-created levels. In August of 2012, this was expanded to include co-op in that. And that was specifically for the Steam version of the game. The PlayStation 3 release of Portal was notably more robust than the Xbox 360 version. The PS3 version, which is the one that I played, integrated some Steam features, including a Steam overlay, Cross-platform play was possible with Mac, PlayStation, and PC players. Owners of the PlayStation 3 version of the game were able to get the game on Steam at no extra cost, so I was able to play this game on my cruddy laptop that would explode every time I loaded it, unless I was playing it on the lowest settings possible. <laughs> and I could also play it on the PlayStation 3. That was normal. <laughs> the achievements were shared between both versions, and Steam functionality still works on the PlayStation 3 version as of the time of this recording, which is neat. PlayStation Move support added in 2012, November of 2012, added 10 additional single-player maps uh, that were originally DLC for a Razor Hydra motion controller for the PC. In June of 2013, co-op DLC that used the PlayStation Move was added as well. This was all free content. But as much of it was like a rich well of content for PS3 players, the PlayStation 3 wasn't backwards compatible with the PlayStation 4 or 5. But you know what is? 
the Xbox 360 version is backwards compatible with the Xbox One and Xbox Series X and S. So they got the last laugh there. If you have an Xbox 360 copy, whether it's digital or physical, a Portal 2, you can still play that bad boy, whatever Xbox you have now, as long as it isn't the original Xbox. Why'd you buy that after the Xbox 360? I don't know. As previously stated in the Portal episode, Portal Companion Collection, a port of Portal 1 and 2 for the Nintendo Switch, which was co-developed by NVIDIA Lightspeed Studios and Valve, was released on June 28th, 2022. It is only available digitally. I do not believe this PlayStation Move specific maps are included here. So that puts things in a weird place for the availability for all content. The point is, this game is still pretty available in some places. Bailey, how do you play this game? I played it on my gaming PC that I had just built uh, via Steam. It was great. I'm a big fan. I've also downloaded Mm -hmm. Aperture Desk Job, which is playable on Steam Deck, but I have not had a chance to do it. But I'm really thinking about doing it. (laughs) That might be the move right after this. I I don't have a Steam Deck, so I'm just going to have to boot up a good old Portal 2 after this. But if you want to see what the deal is with Aperture Desk Job, I've read some wild things about it. So let me know what you think. I will tell you. But yeah, weird preservation state for this one. Anytime I've had a computer... This game has always been installed on it. It is one of those things that will never leave my computer. I still have the PlayStation 3 copy and I still have the PlayStation 3. But to me, Portal feels right with a mouse and keyboard. Love it for that. I love the idea that I can just minimize this tab and open it up right now. Won't do that to you, but I know that I can. Be a wild way to do a podcast for sure. I've listened to some podcasts and you can tell that one of the hosts is gaming sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Once you hit the certain Patreon numbers, I guess you can do whatever you want. I can respect it in its own way. Yeah, sure. Just stream, buddy. Yeah. But yeah, weird preservation state with this one. On one hand, it's on any computer with Steam, basically. (laughs) I feel like if you have a Steam account and don't have both Portal games, it's kind of weird. If you have a Steam account and you haven't, and you don't have Portal 1 and Portal 2 installed, Valve will come to your house and threaten you with a Portal gun. I'm sorry. Those are the rules. Or at least give them like $5 to buy the game. Come on. Oh, uh, man. It's so, you can basically buy it with box tops. Like, it's yeah. just, they really want you to have this game. They're very proud of it. They're right. Everyone has, everyone has Uno dipshit game for <laughs> fucking Xbox. Uh, it's, it's practically on that level. It's almost, they almost give the game away sometimes. Point is, you, you should play it if you don't have it. Whatever it means, whether that's pirating or buying it. Check it out if you have a PC that was made within the last 10 years, it should run. Or, uh, get it on Switch because it's also on there and runs at a better resolution than the PlayStation 3 version does even. The first time for everything with the Switch, I guess. Yeah, for the first time ever. <laughs> like, Can't say the same for you know Arkham Knight or anything like that, but hey. No, cool. I love the Switch, but it's, uh, it's a very specific machine. We're very specific people, though. <laughs> I'm not going to give this game an A, not going to give it an ARG. It's weird that... There's no physical version that you can go out and buy. And if you own a game on Steam, you technically don't own it. I understand all of that. But these are points I kind of went over on the Portal episode already. Don't feel the need to repeat them. Weird industry out there. Everyone should play Portal 2. Those are my two thoughts. Weird industry. Everyone play Portal 2. (laughs) Yeah, that averages out to like a B, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Portal 2 currently holds a 95 out of 100 on the review aggregation website Metacritic that's based on 65 positive critic reviews and one mixed review. It is currently the 53rd highest rated video game on the website. 
The Portal Companion Collection, which as stated earlier is a bundle of Portal 1 and 2 for the Switch, also has a 95. Uh, this is based on 10 critic reviews, making it the 38th highest rated game on the website. Don't ask me how that math works. But we're not here to reduce Portal 2 to a series of numbers and accolades. It won many Game of the Year awards at various different outlets, but that doesn't matter. Ultimately, what matters is what this game means to the people who played it. So let's get into it, Bailey. Mm-hmm. Nicole was your typical hopeless romantic, moonlighting as a fanfiction writer. Claudia was a hard-headed activist with a YouTube channel and the mysterious past. When Nicole hit a deep funk in her writing, Claudia suggests one of her hidden passions, romance novels. Now the two have fallen into a world of endless handsome hunks, doe-eyed damsels, and lascivious lovers. It is now their sacred duty to rank these novels on three criteria. Their steaminess. I had to fan myself off. Their dreaminess. She's not missing anything without him, but he makes her life better. And their meaniness. Cal wouldn't be in some small town pie eating contest. That's not why he left me. <laughs> Join our heroines every other week as they overcome unhealthy relationship archetypes, thesaurus abusing authors, and anatomical inaccuracies to prove that love can conquer all on the Three Little Words podcast, only on the Moonshot Network. What do you love about Portal 2, and what does it do that you wish more video games would do? I love to puzzle. I've said that, but I do love to puzzle. One thing that's very special about it is it is a game that so perfected the gameplay of just puzzling and puzzling and puzzling. And then it hits you over the head with just this sudden and amazing story that feels very out of nowhere. And 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 it's just such a compelling narrative. And the core mechanics are so good. It all comes together to be this really just remarkably enjoyable experience. And then on top of that, there's the co-op mode. And I wish more games had co-op modes like Portal 2 has. And granted, I know that's kind of a tall order because the very fact that Portal 2, they just call it co-op mode, but what it secretly is is an entirely second game. It's a different game entirely. And if more games had something like that, that would be really spectacular because I loved the single-player campaign on Portal 2, obviously. I loved the co-op mode on Portal 2. Like beyond, like the emotions I feel for that are so positive you can't measure them in any way that matters to people who do that. My heart is full to bursting when I think about it. I played that with my sister. We had the best time. And I think that the idea of a two-person puzzle game is so fun anyway. And the fact that they basically went through and went, Maybe some of these puzzles are too easy. What if we do like an extra hard mode where you also have to teach your friends how to do puzzle good? Is so like just genius brain thinking that I, not enough games are willing to get out there and do. Like there are other games that there is a single player mode and then there is a multiplayer mode where the game changes slightly because of it. Baldur's Gate. Super Mario Wonder has a co-op mode as well that definitely changes how you experience the game. This is a fully separate game. This is mm -hmm. different. And I think that that's spectacular and sort of the thing that puts it over the top for me is just you can tell a lot of love went into it to the degree where they made a full second game in their first game. Yeah. 
you know, in 2011, that was fully in the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 era. It felt like every major video game had a multiplayer mode in it to varying degrees of success. Even games that were traditionally single player driven, but <laughs> had multiplayer modes. Why did Mass Effect 3 have a multiplayer mode? Did it exist? I can't prove it. I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's a Mass Effect 3 multiplayer defender out there somewhere, but somewhere right Not in here. Right though. In. I want to hear your story. <laughs> but this game takes the idea of having like a multiplayer mode and like runs with it and making it into like the best possible outcome of that where it's not only expanding on the story but it is also it's doubling up on it like it's like crucial like if you've never played the co-op campaign of portal 2 you're missing out on at least half of the game and you're missing on an important communal experience i mean valve has made multiple multiplayer games throughout their their time they know what they're doing with it but I think it's still a miracle that they're able to make a cooperative puzzle game and that that works so well and has created so many positive memories playing it with my younger brother, playing with multiple friends uh, throughout college. It's a game I've shared with so many people strictly through the multiplayer mode. It's just it's such a it's such a wonderful like gaming experience. Like, again, when, when I play games, it's very I'm very single player focused. I tend to just like hole up in my room, not talk to anyone play my games, unless I'm streaming and then I'm talking to whoever's watching. But most of the vast majority of my gaming experience is done solo. So mm -hmm. to encounter this co-op mode and and just have it really resonate and like, like really like just the most fun game ever. And then you get to share it with someone in your life who you love. And it's like, it's, it's so nice. Why don't more yeah. games do this? It's great. And I don't want to discount how great the single player mode is too like i think it's also very good in that like it's got a wonderful story but you don't have to engage with it at all if you don't want to you literally are just you can just puzzle your way through and not give a shit about what's happening with cave johnson and caroline it can just happen around you you can be like whatever i'm just trying to get out of here i have brain damage blah 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 or <laughs> you can really investigate and dig in and like engage with the story and see and it's 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 sort of a game that in spite of the fact that it has a very like specific way you have to go through it, obviously it's not open world. There's a specific way you have to go through it, and yet you can still make it your own. You can solve the puzzles the way you your brain makes sense to solve the puzzles. Like a lot of the puzzles do have multiple solutions, from if I'm remembering correctly, things like that. Like basically, like the more complex ones don't, obviously. But it's a game that is what you make of it, and it's so hard to do that and also have a consistently excellent gaming experience for everyone who plays it. But people can engage with it on whatever level they want. And they come away from it being like, that was a great game. And when I think about it, it, it makes my heart warm. I don't know. Like, I don't know how to say it other than I think I love this game, like actual capital L love this game. Does that make sense? <laughs> it absolutely does. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's interesting that we immediately jumped in with a multiplayer because when people talk about Portal 2, they usually talk about narrative. And I think... I want to call this a take so much. It's like my, you know, view of the games, right? But like Portal 1 is like minimum, like very straightforward. Like everything about that game's design philosophy is like minimalism. We are making a video game experience. We have a small team. So let's, you know, make a sterile environment through which you are solving puzzles. There is a voice guiding you through it. Let's make the story breadcrumbs. And sorry to use this word. Portal 2 is the cake. Portal 2 is like Damn. the maximalist. <laughs> it is everything. It is throwing everything at you. Portal 2 is the blockbuster version of the simplistic portal. 
It is doing things that are like opposite in terms of design and idea. I think Portal 2 is narratively driven and using gameplay to propel that narrative, whereas Portal 1 was using gameplay and having a narrative to drive gameplay. It's very interesting that these games are comparable in quality and are doing just completely different things all the time. That opening sequence where Wheatley is guiding you through the facility and there's so many physics objects flying into your face, the things are coming apart at the seams. That sequence would be impossible to achieve in Portal because everything is very still and everything is very deliberately placed. And then like here, everything is just so, it, it's just like throwing you in your face at all times. Like we have so much money and resources for this one, guys. We've got so much money. We've got at least 30 more people and we are going to use them to make the yeah. greatest game you've ever played. And they're oh, right, buddy, we, we did do that. <laughs> It's such a good game. It's, it's I just fantastic. keep going back to like, I keep wanting to articulate my love for it. And I feel like I keep talking in circles because, or rather talking in portals, because I just, <laughs> I, I just keep going back to that joy you feel when you solve a puzzle. It just, it just boils down to that feeling. And you get that like every couple of minutes in that game. It's so hard to replicate that feeling. Like I know, like in Tears of the Kingdom, Breath of the Wild, when you solve a shrine puzzle, you feel like smart, you know, like, ah, I feel great. I did that. With Portal, you get that feeling every couple of minutes on average. That's awesome. <laughs> like it's such a, such a feeling, yeah. a, a consistent feeling of joy throughout the whole thing. And the way it's set up, puzzle by puzzle, level by level, is you are constantly getting this like positive reinforcement. Like, look at you. You're so smart. You figured that out. Yeah, we're making it harder, but you're figuring it out. Plus, there is absolutely nothing that beats that sound that happens when you go on the goo that makes you fast. There's nothing. Yeah. You have like kind of silence or like a little bit of music cues here and there, just some echoing like, oh, you're in the big empty like space blow aperture, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly you're going fast and the music sort of swells around you. You're like, okay, all right, I feel fast now. I'm fast and smart. When do those yeah. two things coincide? Never, except in Portal 2. With uh, That's uh, one of those things that like makes Portal so distinctly a video game experience is how it's using that adaptive music you know, the effect where it's like it's rewarding the player for, you know, utilizing and, you know, moving through the game. Like you say, like when you're using the propulsive gel and sliding across the thing, it's making like a, a weird, repetitive, I, it's, there's no way to describe it without, it, it's just musically satisfying. It's incredible sound design. Or like when you are solving a puzzle with uh, lasers, there's that room early in the game where like you have to get, uh, hit like three lasers to open a door. And like you have to make sure that they're pointing at like the three laser holes. Yes, I don't know what to call them. And the music like, tones. That the tones, their channels of music add themselves every time you fit one of the lasers onto its respective place. It, like the music is literally like telling you, you're getting closer to solving the puzzle. You're getting closer to solving it. You solved the puzzle. It's Yay. harmonious. It's beautiful. And it's something only video games can achieve because if you're just experiencing something visually or through narrative, that that it's not possible. GLaDOS's existence is basically negative reinforcement, but like the game does so much to positively reinforce the puzzle solving experience to your point that like it does feel immensely satisfying and the game is doing so much to make it feel good to play. I feel like there there's such a focus now 
the, no no offense to the Souls like games, but I think there's a real focus since they became like the kind of game that everyone's trying to emulate on games being punishing. And I think when you play a game that's just an actual joy and isn't punishing and is just sort of delightful to play, it's sort of like, oh yeah, it's kind of nice when games are fun too, right? Like, yeah, sort of good, right? When they're fun also. You're not just like <laughs> dying and feeling miserable all the time. Sorry, I'm not a big fan of Souls-like games. This is my hot take for the thing is I think I think that some of them are good, but not everything has to be a Souls-like Jedi survivor. <sighs> I, I'm still mad about that. <laughs> I enjoy those games. Uh, they they mean quite a bit to me, but I understand why they're not That's, for everybody. Yeah, because they're they not are, for everybody. Like, yeah, everybody has different expectations and like different desires and wants and needs from what a video game can provide to them. And some people do not have the time or bandwidth to deal with the constant negative feedback and like the, the time that it demands of you to be able to overcome the challenges it presents to you. But Portal is so bite-sized. Even the massive blockbuster sequel, the individual campaigns, you can get through both of them in about six hours each. Uh, so you playing that single-player campaign, like it feels significantly longer than Portal because if Portal 1 is like two, maybe three hours at most. But this game is maybe three times longer than that. It does a lot. It does so much in that time that it makes it feel longer, but it is not a long game and it's presented in such bite-sized chunks that you can step away from it and not feel like you are, one, getting overwhelmed or two, like you, 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 it feels manageable at all times. Yeah, it's just, it's nonstop, easy to walk away from, positive reinforcement. And I think that's, it's so sweet. And I do wish more games would give me that. Uh, that feeling I get when I solve a puzzle in Portal. Fortunately, I think it's been long enough that if I picked up Portal 2 now, there's no way I remember the solutions to the puzzles. So I could totally just do that again and have that feeling of joy once more. And there we go. I might not experience the same surprise and joy upon hearing J.K. Simmons' voice, but I'll still be happy to mm -hmm. hear him. You're getting at something there where it's like, I don't remember the solution because I replayed the first two-thirds of this game in preparation for this episode. I only meant to play up to the part where you are <laughs> trying to reinstall, make uh, Wheatley replace GLaDOS in the system. And then like, I was like, all right, I just want to get to the, like, the, the main aperture part and then like stop at old aperture. And I played most of old aperture because I wanted to hear J.K. Simmons and do all that stuff. And it I is, did not. I, yeah, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but just one quick thing about J.K. Simmons is I know he's, he's in a lot of video games. He's the goat of gaming, like celebrity voices. I think this is his best role. I think he has never he has never done better than his work as Cave Johnson. Those of you helping us test the repulsion gel today, just follow the blue line on the floor. Those of you who volunteered to be injected with praying mantis DNA, I've got some good news and some bad news. Bad news is we're postponing those tests indefinitely. Good news is we've got a much better test for you, fighting an army of mantis men. Pick up a rifle and follow the yellow line. You'll know when the test starts. The layers of the performance, the way it shifts and becomes more and more batshit as you go deeper and deeper into Aperture's history. It's so powerfully well done. And it's just, he's just constantly monologuing at you. And it could be annoying with a lesser voice actor. But with him, it's just like, I I actually would love this this crazy and rich man to keep yelling at me about lemons that feels great to me actually i just solved another yeah. puzzle awesome if you look up like a youtube video of jk simmons all cave johnson lines it's like 11 minutes long <laughs> and in that time he does so much with the role especially since he's not acting against anybody in those like 
all of the characters are all talking at you. Obviously, Wheatley and GLaDOS will do their thing at their respective sequences. For the most part, it's like one character talking to you. And with Cave Johnson, it's super isolating because it is pre-recorded messages that are being relayed to you. And you still get the characterization of that. You are able to hear the history of how uh, this facility uh, regressed over the decades that he worked in it, where it was like a thriving thing. And Congratulations. The simple fact that you're standing here listening to me means you've made a glorious contribution to science. As founder and CEO of Aperture Science, I thank you for your participation and hope we can count on you for another round of tests. We're not going to release this stuff into the wild until it's good and damn ready, so as long as you keep yourself in top physical form, there will always be a limo waiting for you. Say goodbye, Carolyn. Goodbye, Carolyn. She is a gem. To the point where they're like falling apart at the seams financially. The bean counters told me we literally could not afford to buy $7 worth of moon rocks, much less $70 million. Bought them anyway. Ground them up, mixed them into a gel. And guess what? Ground up moon rocks are pure poison. I am deathly ill. Still, it turns out they're a great portal conductor. So now, we're going to see if jumping in and out of these new portals can somehow leach the lunar poison out of a man's bloodstream. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. <coughs> Let's all stay positive. And do some science. And he's persevering as despite himself feeling himself go more and more insane. All right, I've been thinking. When life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Make life take the lemons back. Get mad. I don't want your damn lemons. What am I supposed to do with these? Demand to see life's manager. Make life rue the day it thought it could give Cave Johnson lemons. Do you know who I am? I'm the man who's going to burn your house down with the lemons. I'm going to get my engineers to invent a combustible lemon that burns your house down. (laughs) It's just really, really, really good. You can make the argument that the Oscar that he got for Whiplash was (laughs) secretly for Portal 2 if you want to. Okay, he was also very good in Whiplash. I'm not going to take that from him. (laughs) I've never seen a movie with J.K. Simmons in and be like, what the fuck is he doing here? Like, every time I watch Jennifer's Body, I've seen Jennifer's Body like three or four times. I always forget he's in that. Every single time I forget he shows up. And every single time I see him at the beginning of the movie, like, oh my fucking God, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot he's great in this. He's great in Whiplash. He's, not to objectify a person, very hot in Whiplash. So good for him. Um... (laughs) In, in a scary way, because, but <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Because he's scary. <laughs> he is scary in it, but it works for me. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, and then he's very good in Portal. All of that, all of the voice acting in Portal Two is good. Stephen Merchant's work in this is so killer. Are we allowed to do spoilers here? Yeah, spoilers are fine now. Right. I mean, the game's are... the game's thirteen years old. Come on now. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's. I've cottoned on to the idea that. I I kind of figured out that he was going to ultimately be the bad guy pretty early in. I have footage of me figuring it out pretty early in the game, which is very nice to stream a game and like have a moment that you can point to and be like, you all saw that. I called this. But his heel turn is so well done and they do build to it. They drop like hints in the way he speaks and the choices he makes. And then when he so when the heel turn happens, it's like, Oh, yeah, of course. Like, it does not feel out of left field. It's so well done. But he also doesn't really need to change up what he's doing because his character is so perfectly well established as someone that would do this and it would be in character for them. Here's an interesting story. You might like this. 
I almost got a job down here in manufacturing. But uh, guess who the foreman went with? Only an exact duplicate of himself. Nepotism. Ended up giving me the worst possible job, tending to all the smelly humans. The, the, um, sorry about that, that just, that's just slipped out. The, the, um, sorry, that's, uh, no, I would say smelly. Just, just attending to the humans. His improv work in it, like he's, he was just like improving in the booth. And it's funny in a way that is timeless, which is challenging with comedy. And like not all comedy in the, in this exact game is timeless, but his jokes stay funny over the years through the decades. Let there be light. That's uh, God, just quoting God. Yeah, I think it was the moment when he assumed that the person who defeated GLaDOS was a man. He like refers to Chell with like a he him pronoun as like not Chell, but like the mysterious hero who defeated GLaDOS with a he him pronoun. I was like, oh, this guy's going to turn out to be evil, right? And then, yeah, exactly. Yes, of course. Do you know who ended up, uh, do you know who ended up taking her down in the end? You're not going to believe this. A human. Apparently this human escaped and uh, nobody's seen him since. They give you these little hints with the way he his personality is and how he interacts with you that he actually sucks. <laughs> but he, you're so charmed by him that you're like willing to go along with the ride. And so then the heel turn is even better because there's like actual emotional betrayal because you've been entertained by this little clown for like an hour now. And now he's being a butthead to you and wants you dead. And the fact that this game has such a small cast and this heel turn is still, it's both unexpected and expected, extremely well balanced, emotionally just right. You do feel the betrayal, but you also did expect this. And it's, it's, it's perfect. It's just a perfect balance of anything you could want in an interaction with a character. And he's funny. He makes you laugh, even when he's trying to kill you. That's hard to do. Yeah, the success of Wheatley is kind of like the thing that was like really keying me into like, oh, this game is the opposite of Portal 1 in a lot of ways. Like you you can point at that and be like, oh, the first game is about like this very genius, precise program that is like addicted to like solving tests, but is also murderous in its intent. And, you know, like it's very detached and cold. And Wheatley is like, constantly in your face he has like text that takes up almost half the screen if you have like closed captions on he will never shut up he'll never stop being quiet and people i'm sure if like you know somebody is coming in to this game for the first time in 2024 with where humor is more commonplace in video games and it is you know so many things are trying to riff off of portal 2 people will be like ah oh, this is kind I've, I've seen this before but like at the time there wasn't that kind of like cadence in video games there was certainly humor in video games, but this kind of cadence of humor wasn't really prominent, uh, especially mainstream video game releases like Portal 2. So hearing all this and then like a, a genuinely funny character and he's a fucking idiot. He's just a fucking stupid idiot. And that your villain of the game is a fucking moron who is like insecure, like GLaDOS, like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, she made the buses run on time in Aperture Science. She was fucking evil, but she did the thing that she was programmed to do correctly. Wheatley has no power he's very insecure and he also drove the place into ruin and he's very insecure about his inability to do things like the reveal that he was literally programmed to make glados too stupid to do anything dangerous is like one a really good reveal and two like the funniest fucking reveal you could ever make it's like a kung pao it's literally a kung pao joke (laughs) (laughs) sorry uh what 
comes together for you and you know all that stuff you learned down in aperture uh in the eras tour and they're like oh yeah the portal goo is made of moon dust blah 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 we painted everything with moon dust moon dust causes cancer that sucks r.i.p cave johnson and then at the end you just see the moon through the ceiling and you're like oh my god i can't believe i'm about to do this and then you do it and you literally shoot the moon and it's mm-hmm. it is such a magnificent feeling at the and the the rush of action the dramaticness i guess is there's definitely a real version of that word but i'm going with dramaticness of the moment feels so appropriate for the final killing blow on a boss and so earned everything in this game feels so earned like they set up these building blocks so well and every time you encounter them you feel like the genius who figured it out even though they were of course laying it out completely in front of you the whole time it still always makes you feel so smart and powerful like i figured out you should shoot the moon and it's like yes of course you did good job buddy positive reinforcement the game it's a game that uh is doing storytelling on like a micro and macro level which is why it's so surprising that a game that it's a sequel to a game that wasn't as narratively driven because it's doing that visual storytelling stuff that like is very important. Like you go into the ruins of Aperture and you're seeing the graffiti, the Ratman graffiti on things. You're seeing how these things have changed over millennia. And then like, obviously like there's like that whole middle stretch of the game. That's literally storytelling over puzzle solving. It's changing so much of like what your conception is of like this game. Like, this game was like, it's like if there was a sequel to Tetris and there was like a, a hub world in Tetris that you had to like navigate through. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird, uh, but it works because these are the people that made Half-Life 2. They know how to use narrative driven storytelling through gameplay and they do a really, really good job of it. And I think that's a great thing that they did because if Portal 2 was just Portal 1, but with more puzzles, that would run out of steam very quickly. You did Portal 1 already. You can't really do that again. Portal 1 was a mystery. Like the, the thing that was driving you to complete these puzzles and then you go into the next sterile room and there's another puzzle and then there's another sterile room with like the machine is talking. There was a mystery that is compelling you forward. And it, look, again, fantastic game, phenomenal game, but it is a game that you cannot really iterate on a second time and achieve the same result by just doing more of it. So it's very, very, very smart of them to just like flip the script. They're doing, there's more jokes and more characters and more stuff in there because it's like, all right, well, the first game was empty. We can't really do that. We need more interactions and more story. 
and we can't do the horror unsettlingness through like the the cold environments where all the windows are fogged up and like so you know what the deal is with aperture now but we can give you a history we can enrich this world in a different way we can fill this world and do something new with it it's just really good like portal one is a mystery where information is being hidden from you and since that mystery has now been solved portal two is about seeking knowledge and they're both like you it, it, it's very interesting like different approaches to like the question of like what is a puzzle how do you solve a puzzle one is like a mystery well mystery solved two is like let me learn more let me go through a museum that's like presented in the form of a puzzle and learn about the history of aperture science and then like learn about moon dust that'll eventually help me defeat the final boss it's great yeah yeah honestly i think I, I don't think I have anything else I can say about it that we haven't already said. It's just such a fantastically well-made game. Like Again, like a budget game that becomes this blockbuster that's just so fundamentally different from the original, but still so true to the spirit of it. It's like using... Have you ever seen the Evil Dead movies? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So like it's like that. Like The first Evil Dead film is a movie that was made with like $12 in a dream. Uh incredible filmmaking techniques for what they were doing they've got sick and were crying and shitting and throwing up all over each other getting the flu in the woods to make this movie that a bunch of college students were making together and then the end results incredible but it's like okay now we get to make the second movie second movie is a com- more comedy driven and like they still don't have like a lot of money but now it's like oh we can do more of like we were trying to do here like it's like no, okay there's your narbocular drop there's your portal and then portal 2 is army of darkness where it's like all right it's a fucking medieval film now we have sets we have money we can pay multiple actors to be here we're basically doing helms deep (laughs) but it's still so true to the essence of like what the original was with the dark comedy of it but like it's more joke driven ash williams is still there that the sentiments of like what was in the original are still there but it is being expanded upon even though like the end result is this totally different thing that's the only like point of a comparison I can think of that would I think work. it's a really good comparison. I think you're dead on. Yeah. Like the first Evil Dead, like there's comedy in it, but it's like a very dry, like not dry, but like it's just like a very like, was that supposed to be funny or was that just sort of weird? Yeah, it's a little, more, like, a little more straightforward, I would say. And it's like how there's like a very dry comedy of like Portal 1 where it's like a machine just saying like, why the fuck did that machine say that? Yeah. What? It's <laughs> a mean thing for that robot to say to me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but Portal 2 is like, here's a joke every second. Here's a joke every second. Do not forget that we make funny jokes here. And again, it works because most of, almost all those jokes land. But it, like again, it's just so much mileage out of the inverting of something while still staying true to the essence of something. And that makes sense why people have their preferences of Portal 1 or Portal 2. But at the end of the day, they're both just such incredible games. Absolutely. Talking about the um, multiplayer here, because we've talked about the story i feel like we did like a speed run of like the the appeal of the narrative where it's like your cave johnson's your wheatley being this delightfully stupid evil idiot what was your experience playing like the co-op with your sister like what what stood out to you about that experience over like other cooperative or multiplayer experiences because you grew up playing multiplayer games with your sister yeah i think this one was great because this was the sister who um she's she's considerably younger than me she's about eight years younger than me so mm-hmm. growing up, my it was me and my other sister mostly who were playing games with or against each other because there's a three-year age difference there. So, And I wasn't really playing video games with my youngest sister until, until she was old enough to hold a controller. And at that point, I was nearly out of the house, you know? But playing this puzzle game with her was so fun. I mean, first of all, 
working with someone you care, someone you care about, someone you love to solve a puzzle <laughs> and experience joy together is a nice communal experience anyway. And then you can bully them. I could bully my sister. Here's the thing is my sister is taller than me in real life. But do you know who I was in the game? I was the taller robot. I got to pull her head <laughs> off her little leggies and bounce it around like a basketball. Suck it, Faith. Her name's Faith. <laughs> and it was just, it was a great way to continue experiencing incredible joy with someone who I love very much, which just added to it. <laughs> like, I know you don't, you don't have to play co-op games with someone you love. I would say it helps. I would say it's, it makes you more forgiving of them when they don't yeah. know where to put the portal, even though it's so obvious and you've been very clear with them several times, but it's just working together as a team, experiencing that joy together. And then also on top of that, feeling the joy of successful teamwork. It adds another element of enjoyment to an already slam dunk enjoyment experience. It's incredible mm -hmm. that they took something that was already basically perfect and made it even more perfect. Yeah, this multiplayer game is it's, it's an incredible cooperative experience. I have never, and I cannot imagine playing this cooperative experience with a total stranger. Like it gives you the tools to, it has these incredible built-in tools. So if you don't have a voice chat capability or whatever, like you can ping somebody to like hit the space there and it's all good. But there's such an important fold, especially with how like in the narrative, GLaDOS is like, even though you're supposed to be working together, like she is saying a bunch of stuff to make these two characters hate each other and encouraging you to bully one another, even though the way that you achieve everything is by working together. You can work together and still bully each other. That's called being yeah, sisters. I mean, yeah, there's, that's that's love. That's sibling love. And <laughs> like that stuff works better if you're just playing it with a friend instead of a complete stranger to me. And, you know, actually having to talk to the person and like figure things out together, communicate with one another. Because, you know, the body language, the intimacy of like, I could like, Look at you and like give you a very, you know, stern stare in real life after you take my legs off and beat me with them. <laughs> I would hope so. Watching somebody's human reaction to what I'm doing to them in the game is a very important part of the cooperative experience <laughs> with me. Big agree. Hard agree. We gave a lot of praise to this game. We give a lot of praise, but you've called it nearly perfect. Is there anything that you wish this game did better or did not execute on perfectly? What criticisms if any do you have for the game hmm. i think and i've i've received uh negative feedback from people for this opinion before but deal with it uh is i do think that some of the jokes age very poorly specifically the fat jokes i think they're very of their time and people are like, oh, well, GLaDOS is supposed to be mean. She's mean. She's mean to Chell. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't, it's not that it's mean. It's that it's lazy, you know, like it feels lazy and unkind in a way that was very um, of the era. But we've fortunately, I think generally as a whole grown past, but I, and I, I just think it ages the game more. The jokes that don't include like her weird body shaming of Chell all pretty much land and it's those ones that are kind of like oh that's sort of that's not even that funny girl like what are you doing so that's literally my my one criticism is that is literally just some of the jokes stone age super good not all jokes do that's sort of the essence of comedy it's the, their hit rate for jokes that did age well is very impressive given how many there mm -hmm. are i think having 
2010s era fat jokes in early 2010s is both expected and not necessarily something we need to celebrate about an otherwise perfect game. That's it. That's my only criticism. It does not detract from the game for me. It t- knocks it from 100% to 95%. <laughs> like, and I'm not going to go to bat for, for fat jokes, right? No, no, I, I'm no, not going to go to bat for them. I'm, and I'm not saying it. Like, I understand the argument that people would make. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pro coming. bad joke here. Love actually, love actually aged perfectly. It has no <laughs> problems whatsoever. All those bad jokes from likable yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. They keep pointing at that normal sized woman and calling her fat. We're supposed to agree with them. Yeah, like all those things. And you're supposed to root for Hugh Grant and her to get together. And then like the last thing he says to her in that movie is a fat joke. But they're in love, so it's okay. <sighs> love is <No>. so magical. <laughs> Go back, go to the airports now. It's safe. 9-11 was three years ago, guys. Come on, <laughs> come on, please. <laughs> please. Anyway, I hate Love Actually. Point is... It's not a good movie. Um, I don't like it. But I understand, like, it's not to that level. Like, it no. is a bad person. It is a character that is representing an authority for people. Maternalistic. Oh, yeah. It is a mother-daughter, that hostile relationship. I have seen that interaction play out in my real life before. I've had girlfriends. I've met girlfriends' moms before. I've seen that happen. I've been body shamed by my parents before, both of them. But like that doesn't mean like we have to cheer every time GLaDOS says something that is like commenting on somebody's weight. Like I'm not saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think because then again, also, if it's if if it were subtler, I guess is maybe like if she were body shaming Chell in that way that parents sometimes do to their children, not just making overt nonstop internet edgelord fat jokes which is not really the dynamic i've seen play out classically with real people and their parents but hey you know your mileage may vary on that one maybe your parent was an internet edgelord maybe whoever's listening to this who's mad at me right now for thinking glados wasn't doing a good job there (laughs) had that experience and to you i am so sorry that that happened to you but i just think it's tight it's just tired is basically it. Like, even if, if she had just done it once or twice, that would be, like, not great. But, like, I'd be like, okay, yeah, GLaDOS is not supposed to be nice to you in this moment. So, sure. But they really, like, they kind of, like, really lean on it. Like, it's it's when they can't think of anything else, we go to the fat jokes. And it's, like, honestly, the orphan jokes are funnier, GLaDOS, if you wanted to do those more. But, okay, we can yeah. do this, too. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I remember there at the time being like yeah. uh, criticisms of the orphan jokes as being the things that were like at the time when the game came out. Like there was, I remember reading people being like the the orphan jokes were the thing that went too far. And now it's <laughs> like there was like the game stops cold in its tracks at one point to drive home a point about how fat Glados finds Shell with like a that gag where like you have to step on the plate and it's not taking you high enough to go through the portal that you've can clearly set up there and then like Wheatley is like oh I'm and then the yeah that it, the joke that you have to that you're not getting high enough to hear what Wheatley's saying he's continuing to talk as yeah. like you keep going up and down this thing while GLaDOS is adjusting the efficiency of it that bit is funny but the actual like setup of the joke where it's like let's stop this game cold dead in its tracks to like set up and deliver a, a fat joke that is it, it it's it's fucking you, you don't have to like that if somebody doesn't like that especially in a game where and this is pr- this is like a thing that i have praise for honestly and not the not the fat joke to be clear but like the, this is like You're a like, thing I that the game does that one that one was no, good to me <laughs> but like 
it's, it's an example of what the game is doing where there's a there's a line early in the game where like you take Wheatley off his rails and you're carrying, carrying him around. He's like, look at this, no rail to tell us where to go. And then he's like, you take him, you're like walking down a narrow hallway and he's like, oh, this is brilliant. We can go wherever we want. Just hold on though. Where are we going? Seriously. Hang on. Let me just get my bearings. Um, just follow the rail actually. I guess it is always kind of on rails, isn't it? <laughs> like some some version of that joke. And that's like what the game is doing to you at all times. Like even when you are like breaking the rules, you are still going on a guided track. Uh, a lot of the navigational puzzles that you solve going in old aperture, it's like you have to put this portal on this one specific spot to get to this one specific place. And that's how you like get through this this one area. And that's probably the weaker portion of the game is like the the space in between the puzzles that you're solving where you have to like, okay, where the fuck is the one spot that I have to shoot my portal gun at? Yeah, finding the the one portalable wall. For the most part, the game does really well at like the I am on rails, the the illusion that I'm not always on rails is very efficient and very smart, but like it is fundamentally a game that's always on the rails. That is perfectly fine. Again, this is a game that's doing narrative first instead of gameplay first. Uh, the gameplay that it is all there, incredible, great. It's just like this is this is a game that is telling you up front, like you are always going to be on rails, like what where this story is going, even though like the set pieces are more expansive. And the set pieces in this game are incredible. Like it is such a set piece driven game. And that's what makes the old aperture stuff worth it, even there, even though there are just a bunch of like find the one white wall puzzles down there because like what you're looking at and what you're taking in in these spaces is so like huge and so different from what the series has been up to this point it's amazing all the old office buildings the environmental storytelling the posters god if if valve were just making some official portal merch maybe of the posters or like shirts with the posters on valve people please get at me i just want to buy shirts with your stuff on it and give you money i wish you would let me give you money it's it's i love it so much like even the small nitpicks we have like we still can't help but go back to but god this part was so good though right like like yeah it's 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 such a good game like and that's what these are. These are nitpicks. These are very small things that did not ruin the gaming experience for us. They were just things we liked a little less in the grand scheme of a game we liked very, very much. Yeah, no, again, like the game is doing so much. It's telling a Prometheus story down in the depths <laughs> where like, one of the turrets is like pr that's programmed weird, like even says like Prometheus was punished by the gods for giving the gift of knowledge to man. He was cast into the bowels of the earth and pecked by birds. And I'm like, what the so fuck true. is that point? And then you're down <laughs> in the depths and you're seeing like crows and then like the the idea of like what hath science wrought play out in the underground depths of aperture. And you're like, oh yeah, Prometheus, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> That's that story. Knowledge. Um, yeah. Yeah. Everything's a Frankenstein story at the end. All sci-fi is a Frankenstein story. So and what is Frankenstein? True. The modern Prometheus. I thought it was just a novel that a teenager wrote because she didn't want to hang out with her boyfriend's obnoxious friend. No, that's Fiona Apple. It's <laughs> <laughs> true, though. That's a real thing. Teenage girl wrote All Fiona Apple is a Frankenstein story, too. Yeah, all Fiona yeah. Apple is a Frankenstein, and all Frankensteins were written because they didn't want to hang out with their partner's obnoxious friend, Lord Byron. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to hang around Byron. I, I no. I love the work of Percy Bysshe Shelley to the point that I like use Ozymandias as an intro for my Breath of the Wild episode that I did. Like I love Incredible. that work, but like I would not want to hang out with those no. two. It's like that. Like I, I mentioned Fiona Apple because there's that story about like I stopped doing cocaine because like I would be doing that with Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And God. man, love their movies. I wouldn't want to do cocaine with them either, Fiona Apple. <laughs> I can't imagine worse vibes in a room. Yeah. Just the most gnarly fucking vibes. I'm going to go write paper bag now. (laughs) (laughs) Peace. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this is the great thing about having a video game podcast is you get to talk about Lord Byron and (laughs) Fiona Apple. Yeah. Jerking off at a grape or whatever. (laughs) So true. Um, Anyway, Portal 2 is a great game. It is. J.K. Simmons is good in it. God, he really is. That's the thing. Like, I was frankly, I thought he was fine in Baldur's Gate 3. He's in Baldur's Gate 3, for the record. Mm-hmm. And he's perfectly fine in it uh, as Catherick. But I, when I think of the work he did in Portal versus the work he did in Baldur's Gate, I'm like, yeah, you really can't go home again. This is, it's just, it's just to me, the quintessential grade A celebrity voice work in a video game. It's, there's nothing better than it. And all I, I said it already. All the voice works good. I don't want to not shout out Ellen McLean for her work as like GLaDOS and Caroline and the turrets. She had the turrets too, for the record. Like, she's so yeah. good. The answer is beneath us. Her name is Carolyn. And like, she has, she she just, her, her tone shifts so subtly from the first game and in the second game, I don't know what she's doing different with her voice, but she is sexy now. I have a problem, yeah. and that problem is I watched Whiplash <laughs> and thought J.K. Simmons was sexy, and I played Portal 2, and I thought GLaDOS was sexy. This isn't think, therapy. I can't help you with that one. I don't but, need uh, you to fix me. This isn't a I'm problem not going that to needs fix you. fixing. I'm not going to fix you. I don't disagree, Bailey. I'm just not Thank trying to you. show my entire hand at the moment. No, um, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm. Don't mind showing my hand. I'm just a guest on the podcast. I think these characters are sexy, and everyone has to deal with it. They can draw their own conclusions about me if they want. Be as frank as you like. Um, but I, I get it. I don't. Again, I don't disagree. Yeah, Frankenstein. A. Hey. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not a single weak performance of the bunch. Like no. again, Wheatley amazing that's the one that's very in your face very showy but it is still a fundamentally great performance and like again that was the thing that introduced me to steven merchant it is very of that piece man there is so much ricky gervais in this like character i like because again steven merchant wrote all the best stuff that ricky gervais was involved in that would simply make sense this is one of these things that bothers me and i've heard this happen to actors before where like they intentionally wrote the script with like steven merchant's voice in mind like they wanted a Stephen Merchant type in the development of this character, and then, but I guess they just figured like, oh, like we we couldn't get Stephen Merchant, so like they reached mm-hmm. out to the guy who wrote for the IT crowd, who will not be named, and being like, hey, can we get right. Richard Aoti to be uh, Wheatley for our game? And then like Stephen Merchant's like, hey, I'm I'm available if you just want a Stephen Merchant type, I can do it. <laughs> I respect that so much. I you know it's probably like on the one hand so nice to think that. People assume you're just not available because you're so fabulous. But also, if I missed out on an opportunity like this one because of that, I would never stop being angry about it. Yeah. Worst thing they can do is say no. Yeah. I think that's Um, the conclusion. If anyone wants me to be in their video game, you can always just DM me. (laughs) 
if somebody's out there like I want a kefir from select and start type, if there is a single person out there, shoot me, just reach out to me. Worst thing I can do is say no. And the answer is probably going to be yes. I'm <laughs> yeah, you're I, not gonna say no. Hit me up. Anyway. <laughs> JK Simmons. Is he is JK Simmons the most memed actor? When you like look it. at whole, like his roles holistically, I think of like how many memes have been made of like roles. The Omni Man, Think Mark. Sure. You have everything anything involving J. Jonah Cave Jameson. J. Jonah Cave Jameson. Jameson. Yeah. Uh, Whiplash is a huge meme now. Like all those like jokes. Every time I open up TikTok, I see at least one Whiplash meme. He just has such a presence. I think people just like seeing and hearing him. And that's so valid. Also, he's in yeah. everything. That helps too. And every time he's in something, you're like, oh, J.K. Simmons is in this. He was and continues to be that guy. Yeah, no, I think this was like the thing that solidified. Like I'd heard J.K. Simmons' voice in a lot of things before. And like a year later, he would go on to be Tencent and The Legend of Korra yep. and do all that. And then he would be in uh, Whiplash and get an Academy Award for that. Like, I know this voice. I've obviously seen the Spider-Man movies growing up. But now like he has gone from like a guy I recognize to like a guy I have reverence for you know when you're mm -hmm. a 15 year old and like you're finally understanding not just who actors are but like acting is cool so yeah this is a, again a, a big thing that sort of like sort of shaped my taste where i'm like not only like recognizing jk simmons but appreciating people like jk simmons and Stephen yeah. merchant nolan north is the space uh, personality core Everyone in this game is really just bringing their actual A game. And it's it's always disappointing to me when you have a game that's made the effort to do full voice acting and then doesn't really bother doing a good job with the specifics of it when you hear like, and I'll, I'll, I'll never blame the voice actors for this. Typically, it, it falls on vocal direction. But like, okay, so in Breath of the Wild, a lot of people made fun of like what Zelda was doing with her voice. And I felt like a lot of the female characters kind of had the same sort of not excellent direction because then in Tears of the Kingdom, they changed it up. Zelda's so much more dynamic and she's able to really express herself a lot more than she did in Breath of the Wild. And I feel like more games have got to really, if they're gonna do voice acting, you've got to invest in the vocal direction because it makes such a difference. Voice actors as a whole are generally very talented. And yeah. when you have someone... If, when you have a cast this gifted, you have to give them the best possible chance of doing something as magnificent as they do in Portal 2. Because I guarantee you, they were in that booth working with them through every line. And the results speak for themselves. They're remarkable. Yeah. I mean, specifically, Ellen McLean is somebody who's worked on multiple Valve games and is trusted talent. And they like have that rapport and relationship to get the desired performance out of that. And like you said, like a lot of voice acting performances come down to voice direction because most voiced roles are recorded in isolation. There's not that dynamic that people will get when they are acting on a stage or on film uh, because there is a barrier there. And that makes it hard to achieve the desired performance and money and budgeting and time are such huge, huge things in voice acting. Like when people make fun of English dubbing for anime, one thing they have to do is one, they have to time these things in a specific manner to match the lip flaps of the uh, animation. The other thing is anime dubbing costs they, the budget of that is like a dollar so they're going yes. to rush through it good dubbing and bad dubbing is really like a budget and time thing more than it is like a good actor bad actor thing because there's 
plenty of fantastic voice actors, but it is not a very respected industry. So when you do get great performances that get recognized on an industry level and on like an audience level, that is great because it, it shows people that this is a craft. And when you take the time and effort to get it done right, it is such an incredible thing. It makes a difference. I think if if you if the aperture section of Portal 2 were not being constantly anchored by one of the best vocal performances in a game you've ever heard in your life, I don't know how if it would be as successful because those rooms are huge. And so having that really incredible monologue constantly going in the background to listen to sort of helps you get through it and 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 you feel like you're being rewarded when you find the right place to go because you get more of the monologue. And I think if that weren't the reaction, the emotional reaction to hearing the monologue, it wouldn't be as successful. I'm confident it wouldn't be as successful, actually. That's what I'm going to say about that. 100% wouldn't yeah. be as successful. Like if that voice actor was literally anybody other than J.K. Simmons in the old Aperture sections, like, we would perceive this game in a completely different light, but 100%. man, takes it, knocks it out of the park, masterpiece game, great job. And obviously we're talking about like the impacts this game made on us throughout the episode. Like we talked about how like this is a big like game that has shaped my taste going from an adolescent to a young adult. Uh, what influence would you say Portal 2 made on your life, Bailey? Hmm. I think that it made me really much more interested in seeking out puzzle games because I wound up being interested initially <laughs> in games that I saw my family members play and they weren't really playing puzzle games. And when I played Portal, I was like, oh, this is like a gameplay mechanic that I've never really interacted with in a serious way before, just in like games where there's puzzle components, but not like that's the point of the game. And I now like actively seek out puzzle games. Puzzles to me are sort of like my favorite kind of game. I'm very mm. much like, you know, if it's not a single player RPG, what I'm really looking for is a good puzzle experience. I'm not really a like, just go in and shoot as much stuff as possible kind of gal, although those games have their value. Do not get me wrong. They can be very fun. But when I really want to just bring myself joy on a real like core level it's puzzles and i think portal really opened my eyes to that in a way that no other game has i i definitely uh agree about it like being something that like changes your relationship with a, a, a genre medium i talked about how portal which is a game i played in pretty quick succession with portal 2 was a game that got me into the idea of playing first person video games a genre i didn't really interact with at all and even though this is not a traditional shooting game it made me comfortable with the idea of playing first person oh, games yeah into absolutely the other, like, yeah yeah i used to get like motion sick from first person games and portal 2 it was so like it was it was like baby's first first person game but you know a lot of first person games really have a lot of like non-stop action and it's very hard to get your bearings if it's not something you're used to with portal you can really like sit and like get used to it and i think that there's a lot to be said for that yeah there's not as much urgency as like when you're in a firefight and again, since it's a broken up by uh, individual test chambers, for the most part, you're able to step away and take a break. Another thing it did is not to say like I was dismissive of narrative in video games up until this point, but it made me appreciate the language of good narrative in video games. Like what makes a game good? You know, understanding like having a direct comparison from Portal 1 to Portal 2 in terms of like graphical demonstration and presentation and how you build in have more ambition and scope and scale thing those are all important things right but there's also like this is a video game only experience there's been talk about making a portal movie for 
well over a decade at this point. I don't want it because this game is such a good showcase of video games. I know I said that this is a narrative first game, whereas the first portal was a game, you know, with narrative flavor to it. But no, this even though this is a more narrative game, this is still distinctly a video game doing video game specific things. And by playing it as a video game, it is the best version of what it can be. Whether that is like how you experience the lower aperture parts, whether that is like the mental satisfaction of finishing a puzzle and getting through that area, whether it is you taking in the set pieces from that first person POV or something as simple as like a gag where Gladys is like, the part where I kill you. And it says chapter eight, the part where he kills you. And then you unlock an achievement that says the part where he kills you. Funny is funny, you know? (laughs) Great meta use of the medium that you're in. It's just, this is a video game, video game. And it being more story driven than its predecessor doesn't change that. And that's what this game really made me understand is like, not just like why video games appeal to me, but like why video games are the only medium that can offer certain experiences like Portal 2. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you should have a podcast about video games. You articulate this really well. Yeah. Great <laughs> idea. <laughs> I'm going to start hitting record right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, that was just the warm-up. Perfect. <laughs> ah, shit. The lens was on this entire time. <laughs> At the end of every episode, after we talk about wonderful games like Portal 2, I like to ask my guests, like, what would you recommend to listeners based off of your enjoyment of Portal 2? I think I have to recommend some puzzle games I've been enjoying. I recently had the opportunity to start playing It Takes Two for the first time. I know it came out in 2021. I know it won Game of the Year that year. Uh, it's a it is a local co-op like oh, it's not it doesn't have to be local but it's a co-op game and I just didn't have someone that I could play it with and I finally have been able to play it and God if you have not played that game it's very good I do recommend that and then more recently um, I've been really enjoying Chance of Sonar which came out last year uh, that mm-hmm. is like a puzzle game puzzle game like it's so good and I really feel like if you enjoy that like like microdosing positive reinforcement feeling so smart every time you solve something chance of sonar is exactly the game for you it is so beautiful and interesting to look at the puzzle itself is so unique i don't think i've ever played a game like it before because you're solving uh, a language-based mystery it's like if arrival were not devastatingly sad and also a video (laughs) game you're dropped in this mysterious world where you have to translate these glyphs that don't mean anything to you 
by using contextual clues from the world around you. And then when you solve it, the game's like, yay, you figured out what it was. And it's like, yes, I did figure it out. I figured out that that's the word they use for greeting. Exciting. And and it gets more and more complex deep as you go deeper and deeper into the game. I just got into the like the third level and the language is so complex, it's scary to look at. It's remarkably good. Just an exceptionally good puzzle-based game. And I've been playing a lot of good puzzle games. Like I love Case of the Golden Idol, things like that. But I think if like kind of puzzle to game and gameplay and narrative, like this is the most direct recommendation for me from Portal 2 is Chance of Sinar. And it's not even close. Yeah. Awesome. Any other recommendations? Uh that's 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 my that's my big have you ever heard of Tetris? It's really good. <laughs> heard of it? I, they should make a game where you fight 98 other people in Tetris and figure out who's the best at playing Tetris in that moment. Oh, God, I bet. I bet they would love that. They would love that. Yeah. They would hate the time that I kill them in Tetris 99 because I get so bloodthirsty in Tetris 99. I set my thing to KOs and I'm like, I'm going to kill all the people who are near death anyway, and it's going to satiate my dark passenger. And it works. So that's great. But if you don't have that competitive spirit in you or you simply don't want to feed your darkest urges, then Chance of Sonar and It Takes Two are very good for both puzzling and puzzling in co-op, respectively. No, Chance of Sonar is a game I've absolutely wanted to check out as soon as I heard what oh, its deal love was. It. Yeah. yeah, no, I absolutely would uh, because it is extremely my shit, like a hyper-specific experience that can only be achieved in video games about language puzzle solving and like understanding uh, and interpreting cultural and uh, uh, verbal barriers. That's my shit. And it looks cool as hell. It looks yeah. so good. Another reason I'm appe- uh, this game appeals to me is I love Metal Gear Solid V, which is a very weird thing to say, but those are both <laughs> uh, works of art specifically in the interactive space that deal with like the conflict of language and the barriers that it creates. And <laughs> like use Tower of Babel like uh, imagery and have themes of that in there. Video games are so cool. Video games are so cool. I'm I'm so glad that they exist. It's a shame that people are punished for developing them and laid off on mass for making yeah, them. Yeah, oh boy. It's been a, been a rough one. They th- developing video games is illegal. It's just crazy. It um, seems like it must be that. because I don't understand how people keep getting punished so severely for doing it. How dare they make money for the companies that they work yeah. for? That's uh, fucked up. <laughs> better get rid of them. How's the money going to keep getting made, guys? Doesn't matter. Embracer group, count your fucking days. Um, Honestly. I have four recommendations. Uh, one movie and three games. Ooh, a movie. This is, this is a journey. If you go to the extras section of Portal 2 and scroll to the very bottom, you will find a playable teaser for the 2011 film Super 8, directed by J.J. Abrams. That's not my recommendation. Uh, I'm getting there. But there is a playable teaser that's not really remarkable, and I'm kind of baffled that it exists. And you can play through it in about five minutes, and it's a teaser for the film Super 8. And it exists because J.J. Abrams is a fan of the of Valve's games, as we all are, J.J. You're not special for that. <laughs> Get his ass. So much so that his production company, uh, Bad Robot, has had the film rights for Portal for over a decade, and they've been trying to make a Portal movie for a long time. Now, again, I'm against the idea, but sure, go off, King. Anyway, back in 2011, a few months after Portal 2 came out, uh, a short fan film titled Portal No Escape came out on YouTube. The short, which was a fan project that was never affiliated with Valve or any other major production company, 
was directed by this guy, Dan Trachtenberg, who at this point in time was directing commercials and short films and like web shows, more smaller profile stuff than like television and film. This short film got millions and millions of views. I remember watching it when it came out uh, and this isn't my recommendation either. I'm still getting there. The short was <laughs> extremely popular. It attracted a lot of attention, including the attention of one J.J. Abrams, who years later would hire him to direct a film for Bad Robot called 10 Cloverfield Lane, which would release in 2016. And 10 Cloverfield Lane rips. It stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead as a woman named Michelle, who is a woman running away from her fiance. As she's driving, her car is struck. She's knocked unconscious, wakes up in a sealed bunker. Wow, a sealed underground facility with John Goodman, who tells her that there was an attack on the area or the whole country, maybe. It was by something. Wow, kind of like how that stuff happens in Half-Life. He says, the air is poisonous. Everyone's dead. Don't go outside. You probably can't go outside for a year or two. Just hang out down here in the bunker. I'm a cool guy. I'm normal. I'm not weird. I'm normal. Hang out with me. I have a guy here. He's normal, too. And the other guy is ostensibly normal. But John Goodman is all over the place, just kind of like how GLaDOS is kind of all over the place in Portal. What's going on? Is John Goodman just like kooky and eccentric, or is he malicious and lying about what's going on outside? Watch the film and find out. One of the credit screenwriters is Damien Chazelle, who wrote and directed Whiplash, starring one J.K. Simmons, who would win his Academy Award for that for Best Supporting Actor. Damn, what a connection. Uh, yeah, Bear McGreary, who is gamers may know for his 2018 God of War and God of War Ragnarok scores, does the score for this movie. Hell yeah, check it out. I love 10 Cloverfield Lane. Excellent recommendation. Yeah, uh, I, I, I quite enjoy the film. And if you can find it, check it out. My quick three video game recommendations. Portal isn't just a puzzle game. It's a puzzle platform game. And let's talk about platformers for a second, specifically first person platformers, specifically Mirror's Edge. Uh, like Portal, it's played from the first-person POV. The first Portal game has that cold, sterile, Apple-esque architecture. And Mirror's Edge uses very bright primary colors to emphasize how artless and totalitarian its environment is. Uh, great art design, really cool lighting. You play as a girl, Faith Connors, a runner who is also an orphan, who uses parkour to traverse the city and deliver physical mail in a surveillance state that monitors all other forms of communication. So you got wall running, you got zip lining, you got sliding. It's If you want to talk about games that are of their times, a parkour video game, that's that's something. That's a, that's a game that says Obama's running for president. Yeah, this game was developed by DICE, the company known for the Battlefield games. Uh, and fun fact, Rihanna Pratchett, daughter of Terry Pratchett, is the writer for that game. You can get on PC. The Xbox 360 version is not only backwards compatible with future Xboxes, but it has like performance enhancements and FPS boosts. So check it out. Speaking of parkour driven first person shooter games, play the campaign of Titanfall 2 if you haven't already. It's like six hours long. I know a lot of people are like, play Titanfall 2. But guys, you got to play the campaign of Titanfall 2. It rips. Uh, you want to talk about the negative relationships between a robot and a human? Let's talk about the positive relationships between a robot and a human which is what the campaign of Titanfall 2 is about. What if a robot that was also a giant robot that you piloted was really cool and was your best friend and you were just hanging out with him and then you were doing giant robot fights with him and then also you would get out of that giant robot sometimes and then do cool parkour tricks in like very tightly designed levels, including one level, level five, called Effect and Cause, a level so cool it has its own Wikipedia page which has a level-specific gimmick where you explore an abandoned research facility and find a device that snaps back and forth in time with the press of a button. So you're doing like cool platforming. You're like, oh, that platform's broken. 
Let me go back in time to when it wasn't broken. Boom. I'm standing on the platform now. All right, let's keep going. Just really cool six-hour platforming campaign. That's on PS4, Xbox, PC. Check out Titanfall 2. It's usually on sale. Any any comments so far? No, I'm in full agreement. That's these are great recommendations. These are very you really thought about this. I think these are great recommendations for people who like Portal 2. Yeah. And then I have one last recommendation for video games. And this video game recommendation comes directly from the lead developer of Portal 2, Josh Wire, who gave a, he gave an interview for this podcast, Kiwi Talks, that I listened to part of and researched for this episode. And I'll link to that interview in the episode description. He talks about a challenge that came up while making the where the people developing the game didn't want to make the people who played the first game have to relearn the whole game all over again because that's boring. But they also needed to teach new people who hadn't played the first game how the game worked. So he took inspiration from the video game Super Metroid, where Samus returns to the setting of the first game, Planet Zebus, but you're approaching it from a different perspective. It's like ruined, it's dilapidated because of <laughs> Samus was there last in the first <laughs> Metroid game, Wrecking House. So it's different and it's broken and it's changed fundamentally. And that's the sort of design philosophy they went to for the first chapter of Portal, where you're playing these old test chambers, but they're dilapidated and changed. The people who are coming back to them are getting all those like Ratman graffiti and like this overgrowth that changes the actual like relationship with your space in the room. And it's great. And it's proof that Super Metroid isn't just influential in the exploration type of video game, but a game that is on rails like Portal also takes inspiration from it. And Look, if you love video games about women with guns attached to their arms, Portal 2, Super Metroid, yeah. <laughs> That's a very specific but very compelling genre. Hell yeah. If it weren't so sad. Well, you have been replaced. I don't need anyone now. When I delete you, maybe I'll Bailey, I had a great time talking to you about such a wonderful game. You are a wonderful guest. And well, thank people you. Should I had a great time talking a- too. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome back anytime to talk about any other games that you know make an impact on your life. Before you go, please promote the hell out of yourself so people can find you. All right. Well, like I said, I'm, I write for Honest Game Trailers, so you can check out my opinions on things there. But I also stream pretty much every single day at Balian versus Predator. Uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram under the same name. And then I'm Bailey Myers on uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. So Bailey and versus Predator on Instagram and Twitch. Uh, Bailey Myers on Twitter. We'll just call it Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it was, again, awesome to have you on. It's always great when I get to talk about video games that make impacts on people's lives. And this has just been truly, truly incredible. Uh, thank you again for coming on and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I'm your host, editor and promoter Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this. Engagement helps the show. 
Your feedback will improve it. If you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about Portal 2 or any other games we've discussed, send a DM or leave a comment and I'll gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. That's on patreon.com slash Corner. You can find a link to that and the link to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. Select and Start is on the Moonshot Network, which is supported by its own Patreon. Find out more on moonshotpods.com. The art for the show is made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y, Robin O-T-T. The theme song was composed by Mike Petri. You can check out the links in the description for both of their work, as well as Bailey's. All right, I think that's it. Say goodbye, Carolyn. Goodbye, Carolyn. <laughs> Dave Johnson, we're done here. Space.